This is episode 79 of Cowboy Shit. I'm Ted. This is Wacy. What's up? This is Mr. James Foley. Uh, for those we were, just dis- we were just discussing, and uh, for those watching this part of the show, this is uh, our official Zoom introduction of our, uh, I guess, do we call him a third co-host or guest co-host? What are, like, what's his He's term? a guest co-host. Guest he's co-host? Not, he couldn't be the third co-host because he's only been on like three shows. Yeah. He helped us interview. He was part of the show. Yeah, with episode 53 uh, with Mr. Two-Time World Champ, Jess Lockwood. He's the guy who jails the Bulls. <laughs> that's, that was a, from, that's a memorable conversation. That was from back in uh, like October, wasn't it, when we were up there? Didn't we record Well, and he, I guess something like, so Foley's actually starting to transition out of the Bull industry. Talk about that a little bit. Like your new new beginnings, you want to do a bit of more experience on the lifestyle side of, side of things? Well, um I guess I could be honest, right? That's what the whole platform is about. That's what it's here for, man. Got to be honest. So, uh, you know, this year, I think, you know, everybody in in the Western lifestyle um, world kind of experienced COVID a little bit differently. Um, And it was kind of your option, you know, if there was guys holding jackpots at their houses and, and, you know, a certain group of guys kind of going here and there and and, and so be it. Um, So... I kind of, I waited things around. I, I continued to have my job. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I, I stayed employed right, right through the summer. Um, was able to take, you know, some time off during the summer and kind of appreciate things that maybe I haven't for, for quite a while. And uh, I just, it was kind of, it was funny that we were talking to Brandon in the interview about it, but um, you know, I just kind of figured, you know, is, is this something that I, I want to deal with, um, all the time, you know, the politics and, and, um, I'm kind of, I'm a, a, a guy that shoots from the hip. Um, if I feel something, I'm going to say it. If I think something, I'm going to say it and, and, um, I'm willing to, to fight, you know, for what I think is right. And, and, um, you know, some, some actions and, and some things from last year kind of carried over and, and I decided that I wasn't gonna, you know, I feel like my bulls have, have proven themselves to be just as good as anybody else's in Canada. Now I'm not saying that I have as many as everybody else in Canada, but I feel like my quality of bulls are there. And um, for me personally, it was, it's tougher to me to get into a monster Canada event than it is for me to call Cody Lambert and ask him to have four bulls go to a, a monster energy event down there. So I just kind of, thinking about it and i i said you know what i maybe had a bad week there and i was like you know what fuck it i'm there everything's for sale what sells sells i'm sending my good ones down south i'm not dealing with the politics anymore not the best time to sell i uh, found that <laughs> out real quick <laughs> so i i still have 40 cows at home you know i'm down to i think 25 bulls um Firebeats is down at KBRC right now. I still own him, but he's down with Kenny and, and their family. Um, I got some bulls down with Justin Cox, some, some top tier bulls of mine that are down there that I'm trying to sell. I sold two to Kenny and put Firebeats on the bus with him. So, you know, to say I'm totally out isn't true, but uh, if somebody came tomorrow and said, James, I'm going to offer you this for everything you have, um, I definitely contemplate getting rid of it. And, you know, I, I want to kind of, need to experience some other things but like I said as long as I have my cows I'm not going to give them for away for free I'm not going to can them 
I'm not that type of person to just be like, you know, I'm done with these things. I, um, it's probably why I shouldn't own animals is because maybe <laughs> I have too much of a heart for the fucking things, but, uh, you know, I'm not broke if that's what people heard or whatever. I'm, I just, uh, I lost a little bit of your the, focus has shifted. Yeah. Focus has shifted, but maybe I, I lost a little bit of the, the, the spark to it. I got, um, you know what I mean? I got sour. I thought the PBR Canada finals could have been held maybe a little bit differently, whatever. It's my opinion. But, um, like I said, I'm not, uh, I'm not fucking digging into my own pocket to do shit and I'm not taking away my beliefs in order to fit into a niche to, to get bulls bucked. I ain't going to do it. It's not going to fucking change. It's the way it is. And if I don't get bulls bucked, then, Ooh, you know, too bad. So it is what it is. I'm just freestyling it right now. Dropping into Verdansk. Just put some yeah. hours in. <laughs> definitely. How, uh, definitely. How far into all this stuff do you want to get? Like we're in, we're in November. It's the last, this show's going to come out on Wednesday. It's Sunday right now. We're still in November. It's end of November. Men's mental health. Like maybe we should check in with everybody right now. Waste how's things been? You had a pretty uh, last little go. Really. Things are better now that I'm able to like start getting out of the house and be kind of get back to whatever a normal routine is now for COVID for me, I guess. It sucks that we don't have hockey or stuff that way, but was able to go skiing last Friday and just being able to like leave my apartment and go for a dinner or whatever. It's, 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 it's nice that where you're not constricted or restricted to being into your, your own space for so long. So definitely things are going well. It's a bit of a grind now. I'm getting into the last week and a half of my semester for school. So I'm going to have to buckle down and get some dial in for finals here. So, but other than that, like it's been, it's been a good last, last week and a half, a couple of weeks compared to the, the whole COVID thing. That was, that was no fun guaranteed. 10 out of 10 don't recommend as I did before. James, how, uh, how about you? Like you had a pretty crazy summer, really. It's been a, hasn't been an easy one for you overall. Yeah, man. It's been a, been a whirlwind for me. Like I said, with, uh, you know, with my bulls and everything, um, work-wise, uh, it was looking to be like back to the, to the old ways. Bulls were going to be super busy. I had some big plans. I purchased a, a big breed bull that, uh, you know, I spent a lot of money on in December when things were, were going good. And, um, yeah, come March 15th, it just kind of went from up here to, to down here. And, and like I said, I, I adjusted my life. Um, I haven't really talked to publicly about this, so I'll, I'll, I'll break it down here on the, on the podcast. Uh, I proposed to my, at the time girlfriend, um, who I'd been with, you know, on and off, I guess, for roughly 10 years. Um, <laughs> everything was good to go. And four days later, she gave me back the ring and said that she had anxiety and just wasn't for her. So, you know, there, there was two weeks there, man. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything for anybody. Like I said, I'm the type of guy, I, I, I say it how it is. And I was in a pretty dark space. And, um, you know, I... I resorted back to my parents and, you know, close group, Teddy, you came over to my house and, and we had to talk about it. But, um, you know, for, for a week there, I just kind of kept everything inside and I, I was more embarrassed, I think, um, you know, and, and I, I don't drink that much, which is probably like, you know, one thing that really helped me out is, you know, I didn't resort to alcohol or resort to, you know, something to cover up how I was feeling, but, uh, 
you know, my, my parents were there with me, you know, my good friends, you know, I, I made sure to talk to everybody. And, and if I was feeling some way, I, I, you know, I, I definitely talked, talked it out instead of keeping it all in. So I haven't told many people that, um, there's still a little part of me that's maybe a little embarrassed about it, but like I said, is, you know, the more I think about it, yeah, you know, I, I, I shouldn't say I asked her to marry me. I'm more asked her to spend, you know, the rest of our lives together. I'm not, uh, I'm not a guy big on marriage or anything like that, but, um, you know, it, it didn't happen. It isn't going to happen. It's one of those things. And, and, uh, now we just keep moving forward. Yeah. Here we have to, and it's kind of, it's shitty. It's fucking life. Right. But I mean, we can dwell on it, I guess, or we can move along and go on to the next thing. Like you said, well, and then you touched on it too. Like it's good. You're lucky to have a good support group around. Like you have your family and your close friends. And it really, even for me, like going through tough times, like having that kind of people you can lean on instead of like feeling like you're alone in that scenario, it's so much more helpful. And and, and like, and it can lead to positive things too. Like, like you and I have talked fully too. like things you want to do travel and do all those kind of different yeah. things. So it kind of makes you realize and opens a few more doors to maybe like, like, Hey, like maybe I can try this, like try some new things as opposed to just dwelling on the negative and that sort of thing too. How about 100%. you, Teddy? How are you doing, pal? Uh, James, you had something to say first. Well, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the more I thought about it, like, um, travel, you know, when, when it, when it had happened or whatever, you know what I mean? You get, you know, you're in a shitty spot, you get shitty thoughts, um, you know, and, and I have my dog Ruby, who's with me 24 hours a day. You know, she almost turned into like a service dog for me where, you know, I was having a bad day and I would just look at her and be like, Ruby, like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, come on. You know what I mean? And, Ruby has no idea. It's just burr, 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 to her, but she'd look at me, her tail would start wagging and she'd come over and, and you know what I mean? I was like, dude, you know, this is what I need right here. I said, mm-hmm. I just need to talk to you, Ruby. I don't give a shit. I'll give you a treat <laughs> after, but we need to have a talk right now. Mm-hmm. But you know, at that time, you know, um, Travis James has, had, had went through his stuff. Um, you know, I, I heard the rumors of what happened and yada, yada, yada. And, and, uh, you know, it, it goes back through a guy's brain, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, it really makes you figure out, you know, where you're at right here, but all the things that make you so you should be at here, if that makes sense to anybody, you know, you really take for granted the, the, the people that are in your life and the people that are willing to help you out. And, and, uh, it kind of just brought it all back to me and, and definitely, you know, I mean, it's something that, uh, you know, it's still pretty, pretty soft to me or whatever. But like I said, it's going to help me grow as a person and, and uh, things happen for a reason. I'm, I'm a believer in that. And, and like I said, I just move on. And like I said, I talked to Teddy, he came over to the house and we had a good, good bullshit about it. But yeah, Teddy, well, how are things looking for you? Yeah, we've been, been all right. Um I don't know. It's been, it's been hard. It's been a really fucking hard time lately. Uh, um, we had our dog was pretty sick for a while. That beat me up pretty bad and cost a bunch of money, but what do you do right there? Kind of part of your family. Right. So that's been tough, but I mean, I think back more too, and kind of what you said, what I think you're partially alluding to it with the different spots of where we are and where we should be or could be like, 
I'm incredibly thankful and, and, you know, very, uh, I guess the word now, which I don't know how, how to use it correctly, but like, we're very, um, what's the word? Like, we're very privileged. Like everything we've grown, the three of us, we've grown up with, like, we're extremely privileged. We have, you know, we have a roof over our heads. We've got food and water. Like we're extremely privileged. So sometimes I think that I'm having a tough time, you know, lost all, all these events we're going to and whatnot. And um, this year we've changed change it up and done a lot of the merch stuff instead. And I don't know, I've been feeling anxious a lot lately too. And I don't know if that's because of the, such a change in the schedule. I had a really tough time with the time change this year. I don't know why it was so tough, but it like when, as soon as the sun started going down at five, I was freaking bad time. Yeah. It sucks so bad. bad. Yeah. I I think a lot of it for me anyways, it like stems to like the uncertainty. Like you can't even plan your life hardly a month out right now. Yeah. I'm Mm -hmm. like, for me, like I'm graduating university soon. It's exciting time to be, finishing that chapter of my life but when it comes to finding work like it's terrifying man like i'm competing against guys who have mbas and 20 years experience in the industries that i'm applying for and i'm trying to compete against them like i don't have any chance like there was like an entry level like uh marketing director job like just kind of like an internship almost and there was dead people with like two mbas and 10 years experience applying for it. like how like where like where do i fit in that thing it's like it's such a it's such a it's a scary landscape for sure Put yeah. me as a reference, Wacey. We'll get you. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing, guys. Uh, I, I guess biggest thing, you know, the Movember campaign talks about men's suicide. You know, we lost Ty Posbon was one guy we know we lost in the sport from CTE, which you know ended up being, I want to say, like the the side effects of CTE end up being depression and anxiety and numerous other pieces. But he's the only one that we know for mm-hmm. sure. But how many other people have we lost over the years mm-hmm. in the Western lifestyle or friends of people we know have lost to suicide? Um, the first, the first, first one I remember about was a guy named Rod Wilson from back in Drayton Valley. We ended up putting on an event for him for like seven or eight years and he did it. He took his own life when he was 25. So, I mean, you know, we're all past that age at this point, but it's not, you know, men are more likely to take their own lives that it's what is it three or four times more likely ways what's the stat i think i think it is i think it is three times more likely um well then there's there's that stat this year too it's like the 60 60 men per hour or something like that lose their it's like one per yeah one per minute or something worldwide it's something insane yeah i have to look at the numbers but yeah what do you even worse right now with the with the Mm -hmm. pandemic and what's going on seem seem things might seem a little bleak for some folks so you know Mm -hmm. we just want to and even, and even at, the, at the very least if anything like this if this sparks a conversation like if you're feeling down like reach out to somebody yeah. like just talk like yeah. i know for me that's been a big help over the years is just being able like and i know it's it's easier to sit here and say like just talk about it but like i've actually been through it and, ha- and then done it and if it's if you can just reach out to a buddy you're close with and just have a talk like hey man yeah. like, this is how i'm feeling like it'd be such a big like relief because like a lot of the time for stuff like this it's like you think that you're the only person going through it Mm-hmm. but in reality like a lot of people are going through a lot of the same things and people can relate to you and you can and it can kind of be a thing where you end up leaning on each other so if, yeah. it, if, it, if at the very least it starts a conversation then we're on the right track um 100 percent. thank you to both of you guys for sharing um this is the pre-show before the nfr <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even talked about that yet but we're not going to until the second half 
Um, we're going to get to our guest right now, but thanks to James Foley, our co-host, guest co-host today, Wacy Anderson in the top left, if you're watching the video. If not, um, we'll catch up with you guys after this. Uh, we'll be back with, uh, with Brandon Bates after the break. Thanks again. Our next guest was the voice of the PBR for over 17 years, announcing his first event at the age of 20, and he's been fortunate enough to call some of the biggest moments in the sports history. At the end of the 2019 World Finals, he moved on from the PBR to pursue new interests, launching his own clothing brand, Rural Cloth. A, a dedicated family man and a father of three daughters, an outdoorsman and lover of the Western lifestyle. Welcome to the Cowboy Shit Podcast, Brandon Bates. What's happening? <clears throat> this is probably like our biggest announcer yeah. get. You got all. You got some of that right. You didn't get. I mean, you were close. I was close. Oh. Yeah, 18, 18, 18 years. years. I probably announced my first like actual event whenever I was seventeen, and then um, I my, I think I announced my first PBR when I was twenty one. Probably oh, my first. I think my first PRCA rodeo when I was like. Where 20. were you? I can't remember if I got in a car. I was like 19 or 20. Somebody told me the other day. So, so what led you down that path at that age then? Like, when, as opposed to like heading down the competitor avenue? Oh, because well, I was a really <laughs> shitty competitor. That's exactly <laughs> what led me down that path. I was a terrible athlete. I mean, um, no, I, that, that, that was, you know, I kind of grew up in that space where that's what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to, <clears throat> I, I wanted to, I wanted to ride bulls and, and like the rough stock game. Um, and, but I, I just was not good at it. I mean, that was one of the biggest things that I think I learned, you know, pretty early on is that I just, I, I was not good at it. And, you know, I was probably a little bit too heavy. I was pretty tall. I was, you know, close to six foot, weighed in the 170 range. I mean, you know, just things that kind of create problems for you if you want to be a bull rider, right? Um, <clears throat> probably could have made it as an okay bareback rider, but just wasn't tough enough, I don't think. And 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 at that point in time, like I had gotten so far down the path of, you know, of, of rodeoing and and I don't I don't want to say po politics or politically, but like I was a relationship guy, right? So like I had made some really good relationships, you know, with some of the guys that helped found the PBR, like Mark Kane and some of the other guys, like you know, that were really big in the pro rodeo at the time, like David Bailey Senior and. <clears throat> And where I went to high school and kind of grew up was a real, like, kind of primetime rodeo hotspot. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, eight miles down the road from where, you know, Lane Frost lived and, and his mom and dad, Clyde and Elsie Frost. And, you know, um, and when you grew up where I grew up, you know, you like everybody went to the NFR. I mean, it was – that was just kind of what you did. And if you didn't, you were kind of a loser. So it was easy for me to, you know, make relationships – and, and by the time I had made relationships when I was in high school, I, I just decided, like, uh, once I figured out that I wasn't going to be tough enough to be a bull rider, I, I was like, okay, I want to be an announcer. So that was it. That, that kept me in the game, right? So were you, were you announcing and competing at the same time, or did you transition just straight from, like, you got, on a, you got bucked off a bull at one event, you're like, fuck this, I'm going announcing. <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're right. I mean, that's, that, that's exactly what I was doing. Like, I, I was – it's so funny you bring that up because not many people make that correlation – when I was in high school, I would, people would pay me to announce the high school rodeo 
and they would hold my bull until slack after everybody was gone. The judges would stick around. I would sell the show or, you know, the high school rodeo or whatever, and then climb down the announcer stand and go <laughs> get my bull and usually eat shit and, and you know, <laughs> be done. But, yeah, no, I, I was doing both. I was exactly what was happening. What yeah. you should have did is just wear a headset down while you were getting on your bull because then you just pump your own tires while you're tying your hand they in. Typically, they typically want the announcers to speak for more than a second and a half. So that was, that was the problem there. Did you, did you find that you had a voice for – like did you have to work on your voice or, or did that just come natural for you? The, the way that I found it is I, I as a high school student um, – Long story short, I, I was living with a cousin, basically, as kind of a roommate in my senior year of high school, because he lived in town, and where my where my grandparents lived and the ranch that I lived on, <clears throat> they were like 30 minutes outside of town, so for me to not have to drive 30 minutes into town to go to school and 30 minutes home, I stayed with my cousin my senior year a lot, who lived in Atoka, Oklahoma, which is where I went to high school. <clears throat> anyway, girlfriend at the time, wife now, they've been married, I don't feel like 30 years, but 20, at least 20. Um, she did something dumb that day. I can't remember what it was. It was just like something, you know, I, I can't remember what it was. And it was just something really silly. And when she did it, I looked at her and I said, well, Bob, tell her what she's won behind door number two. And, and that was the moment that it like clicked. And, and she was like, you have, she was like, you have an announcer voice. And I'm like, whatever. Like I didn't, you know, I just didn't. And then I, and then she kind of kept saying, she's like, no, she's like, you got an answer voice. Like you should go tell them that you want to announce the basketball games, the football games or different things. Well, what really clicked is when I figured out that I could go to my high school staff and tell and ask them if I could announce the basketball games, I realized that that would allow me to get out of class. So I could get out of class <laughs> to go announce the starting lineups <clears throat> at our basketball games and things like that. And at that point in time, like I was hooked, right? Like there was, uh, that was, that was really fundamentally the, the beginning of, of the whole deal. Was, were those connections you made early on, like help with your transition to like getting into the PBR and stuff or like without those, do you think it'd have been a harder road to get no, there? They, they didn't, they didn't help at all. Um, you know, I mean, they, they really did not help at all. I, it, it's ironic that you bring that up too, because, um, you know, like Mark Kane was a founder of the PBR, one of the original 20, but I mean, there wasn't anything he could do, right. There wasn't anything, you know, anybody could do. And I was super young. So, I mean, I really had to go out and, and, and he didn't have any influence of the, you know, the corporate structure of PBR at that time either. <clears throat> but one of the things is, like I went out and announced, you know, some junior rodeos and then a high school rodeo and a college rodeo. And then, you know, decided that I wanted to go. And, and my, cause my main goal wasn't even really PBR as much as it was, you know, to, to, you know, be the next Bob Tallman. Right. That was my thing is like, I wanted to go in a pro rodeo and, and, you know, do all these big pro rodeos and stuff. And, and, and I told the story the other day, but, you know, I, I went through, the review process with PBR or I mean with, with, in it with PRCA and they, they failed me the first time that I had, so I sent in five rodeos. They came and listened to me and they, they failed me. They sent me a letter back and said, you're not good enough. They said, what criteria do they fail you on then? Inexperience, I guess. Really? Huh, interesting. They really, if you want to know the truth, they failed me on the criteria that they wanted me to send them another thousand bucks. <laughs> another that sounds more legit. Yeah. That was, that was their, that was their criteria. I mean, maybe I wasn't good enough, but it's hard for me to, for, to say that at, at, you know, 20, 
I wasn't good enough. 19 or 20, I wasn't good enough. And then two years later, 22, they hire me to announce the Dodge National Circuit Finals in Pocatello, Idaho. Youngest ever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so obviously, like, you don't just get better. You know what I mean? Like, in, in, in a two-year time frame, you don't go from being so horrible that you can't even you know, get a memory. <laughs> you passed the yeah, you failed. All of a sudden announcing one of their biggest <laughs> events. So. Well, and that kind of goes back to some of the stuff with rodeo that's really fucked up because you got your competitors. You got fellow announcers that already have cards are the ones that are judging you or grading you on yeah. being an announcer. Like, that's – Totally bullshit. Total bullshit. I mean, it's it's one of the things that I hate about, you know, the the politics and and in the political game of, of pro rodeo. I, I've I've got some really good friends over there that are announcers, and I've got some that probably don't like me. And I promise you, I could give two shits. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but the reason that they don't, you know, the the reason that they don't like me is is because they know that I'm not going to play their game. And if they piss me off, and if I decide to play their game, I'll go do their rodeo for free. The one thing that they despise more than anything on the planet is somebody undercutting them because that's their own little game of socialism. Oh, if Calvary's going to call you, you've got to get them. They're going to charge. They paid me 4000 around, and I'm making these numbers up. They're arbitrary, right? <clears throat> and that's the thing is, you know, Calvary's going to call you and – they paid me 4000 around, and you can't take it for any less than that, or, or you really can't even take it for that. you got to take it for more. Bullshit. If Calgary calls me and they want me to come do it for 1500 a performance and that's what makes me happy, guess what? I'm going to yeah. go wreck your job. <laughs> and and that, that's just capitalism. <clears throat> that, that's just how it works. Um, I've always been the antichrist of, of the union game, like just the absolute – just despise it more than anything. And, you know, I, I think before the PBR hired me full time, I mean, I, I told, you know, I told them uh, a lot of guys in the, in the PRCA, like, don't ever tell me what I can charge or what I can't charge because of what, you know, because you're worried about your job, <laughs> you know, like, and, and the same goes for a lot of other guys out there, right? Like a lot of other guys are, you know, <clears throat> what, oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. What's the really good announcer up there in Canada? Brett right Gardner. Now? Gardner. Yeah, Brett. Yeah, Gar- Brett. Brett. Um, you know, like I've, I've had a lot of conversations with him, you know, where he's felt this insane pressure and kind of this, I won't name any names of where it's come from, but you can do the math and connect the dots pretty easy and figure it out. He's going to listen to this and be mad at me for calling it. But I told him, I'm like, bullshit. Like, if if you got a rodeo down the road and they want to pay you and you need to pay your bills, I don't give a rat's ass what those other guys say. Crush them. Take their job. If they're that good, they won't even pick up the phone and call you to begin with. And and, and that's the whole premise and and principle is – I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I've, I've been the antichrist of their little union system forever because I just think it's gross and disgusting. I, th- I think, th- I think that goes in all a rodeo though. Like, and I don't think it's just announcers, uh, you know, Ted, Ted would be the first one to tell no. you and like music's probably cutthroat, um, you know, stock contracting the exact same way. So it's pretty cool to hear a guy like come out and say, you know, what, fuck what you're saying. You know, th- this is way, this is the way I want it. If you don't like it, go somewhere else easy as that right yeah i mean it it, and it really is and and look let me let me slow down for two seconds and say this it's it's really easy for a guy that's announced the pbr finals 18 times and some of the biggest rodeos in pro rodeo now that i'm 
quote unquote retired, you know, to sit on the sidelines and say, Hey, I'm going to do it this way. <clears throat> but I, but I really did. And, and, and you guys should know that. Like when I took the PBR job, I know they were paying me less than they had paid some other guys in the past. And, and, and I was on the fence at that time when I was really young, like 22, when they first hired me. And I'm like, man, is this right? Like, am I doing the right thing? And I had people chirping on my ear saying, you can't do that. You're undercutting them. And I just really thought about it. And I kind of went back to the whole conversation that we just had where I was like, hey, wait a minute. Like, this is my life. Like, this is, you know, this is capitalism. And this is a decision for me to make. And if I'm willing to go do the job and I can afford it and, and it makes sense. Um, I'm happy to work my way up. And the other fundamental thing that I believed is I didn't think that someone that had tenure should make the same as someone who didn't, right? Like coming in as a 22-year-old kid, I didn't think I should make the same amount of money as a Bob Tallman or, or a Mike Mathis or, or, you know, whoever it would be. I, I, thought, I thought that needed to be earned. Their mentality, and I'm not throwing Bob under the bus here or anybody for that matter, but there are certain announcers out there, you know who you are. <laughs> there, there are guys out there that said, there's no way you should take that job for, what, for less than what they're paying me. At that point in time, you're making about a budgetary thing and who's the best, right? Who's the best bullfighter? Who's the best announcer? Who's the best music guy? Who's the best whatever, right? At that point in time, you're just making it about budget and not about who's, you know, who's the best. And that's just, yeah, not my thing. So were some, of those, were some of those factors what drove you towards the PBR as opposed to doing the PRCA route? No, I, not really. I mean, you know, early on, yeah, I got a funny story too for you about the PRCA whenever I was like, when I, when I finally got the PBR job. No, but Jerome Robinson called me in, in the winter of 2002 and said, hey, we want you to come to set. And it was like Thanksgiving week. I, and in fact, it might have very well been this day um, in 2002. So what is that? 18 years ago, 19 years ago. Um, Robinson calls me and says, hey, we want you to come to 17, 18 events next year. What do you want to do? And I said, I'm, I'm in, done, you know, <clears throat> and told me what they were going to pay and that was it. And, and I went, I can't, and I can't even remember what it was. It was like, you know, 1200, 1500 bucks a night, which was at that time was really good. Right. Mm-hmm. Pretty good paycheck. Um, <clears throat> and no, that, that was really what drove me to PBR, not at PRCA was, was the fact that, you know, they hired me, I was there and, and that was the deal. I, I had, and I still did go to a few pro rodeos. Like, I mean, I remember, you know, I went to Gunnison, Colorado, Cheyenne, uh, Hugo, Oklahoma, there was a handful of, you know, PRCA rodeos that I went to in, in, in the summer of 03 and, and still was rodeoing some Mobridge, South Dakota, um, yeah, hand, handful of, handful of rodeos that I, that I went to, but it just over time, like over the next couple of years, like it just really faded down because then it went from 17 PBR events to 28 and then, and then not only 28, then everybody wanted you. If you were kind of the main guy for the, for at that time, the, the Bill Ford Tough series. Uh, actually, when I started, it was the Bud Light Cup, Bill Ford <laughs> Tough, now Monster Tour. So, you know, I've been through three, I've been through three, three title changes. Um, but at that time, yeah, you know, everybody wanted you to then come to the Touring Pro Division events from the middle of summer. By, by the time I knew it, I was doing 45 events a year, you know, just bull riding, like, just, just PBR. So, so where did uh, Jerome see you in the first place? Um, so David Bailey had hired, he didn't see me. David Bailey had hired me to do Tulsa, Oklahoma 
in October. It was the final event of like 2001. Um, final event of the season in 2001, David Bailey hired me to do Tulsa, Oklahoma with Donnie Gay. And I did Tulsa. And then <clears throat> the next year, Jerome Robinson had an event where Kurt Blake was the manager of. Jerome couldn't even be there. Kurt Blake, this is a great, this is a funny story. You guys want stories? <laughs> I got some stories. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, I just need to jog my memory a little bit. Kurt Blake will love this too. But <clears throat> so, so Jerome Robinson hires me to do Little Rock, I'm sorry, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And at that point in time, this was the early summer of 2002. So Fort Smith is going to be my second PBR, actually third, I'm sorry, third PBR because I had done Guthrie, Bull Nanza. They had, Justin McKee had moved over to television. They needed a guy. And so, like, the first big shot, big time call up was there at Lazy in Bull Nanza in February 2002. So I guess he saw me there and then hired me to do that deal in Fort Smith with, again, with Donnie Gay. And um, I have a, living quarters trailer but at that time i was an announcer that like brought all my own sound and stuff right like <laughs> i had speakers it was a one horse living quarters trailer with like stack full of speakers and, things. <laughs> and i'm not even 21 yet i know that i'm 20 and yeah so i, I see that's the thing that's the only problem with all this like my like my dates have got to be mixed up so maybe my dates have got to be mixed up because I wasn't old enough to drink. And here comes the story. Anyway, whenever it was, <laughs> I was at Fort Smith, Arkansas, Jerome Robinson needed an announcer and had Kurt Blake uh, hire me. Now, Jerome had hired me and said, hey, there's a guy going to be there. His name's Kurt Blake. You meet him when you get there. He'll get you all set up. He's taken care of. I'm, I'm not going to be there. But <clears throat> So anyway, so <laughs> Kurt Blake comes to my trailer, knocks on the door, and he's like, hey, I'm looking for this kid, Brandon Bates. Have you seen him? And I'm like, yeah, I'm Brandon Bates. And he says, hey, perfect. I'm Kurt Blake, the guy Jerome told you about. Nice to meet you. And we're going to have a production meeting here about 4 o'clock. This is probably 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And I, and I hit up with Kurt and I go, hey, uh, look, man, like before we get this production meeting, like I got a small favor to ask. Do you think you could run to the store and get me some beer because I'm not old enough to <laughs> <laughs> and, that was, and Kurt Blake can tell that story better than I do, but that's the truth of what happened. I was just like, I was, I was a punk man. Like I was not really like I just, I think I thought I was, I was more grown up than than I actually was. But yeah. Holy! What? So when did you get out of the sound business and just go strictly announcing? Oh my God! Just the first time that they let me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never had any intention of being in the sound business. It was just the only way for me to grind my way to, you know, to get where I wanted to get. Like if you had amateur rodeo in Oklahoma, like it didn't do, you didn't do them any good to have a really good announcer if they didn't have a speaker system. Right. And, and 99% of the rodeos and stuff coming up, like you had to do it all. Like, I mean, I remember setting up speakers and mini disc and mixer, but like I had it all and I, and I ran it all and, and ran it all and announced at the same time. So and then got on your bull at the end. <laughs> and then got on my bull at the end. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, that's, that, that's true. That's what happened. Did Damn. you, did you yeah. have a catchphrase yeah, back in the day that you had that, that you used? And then, and then all of a sudden, like, someone came up to you and they're like, hey, Brandon, we got to change that shit because it's not working or. 
No, the on, the only no, I never I never had a catchphrase. The only I guess closest thing that I would have to a catchphrase ever is, and this wasn't even mine. This was Tommy Joe Lucia's who created this for the PBR for when it started in 2003, and I think we hung on to it for a long time. Was the opening line of the PBR, which was "This is not a rodeo." <laughs> Now, this is not a rodeo. This is the one and only PBR. And <clears throat> that was, you know, that was my line and how I started the performance every single night for, you know, probably 10 years until, you know, Sean Gleason, when, when Sean kind of came in and was started to, to run things, he was like, you don't ever start an event with telling them what you, what you're not going to do. And I'm like, whatever, who gives a shit? Like, if you actually think that matters, then great. If you think that it did, then it doesn't. It doesn't matter. So that was a great line, I think, forever. And maybe he's right. I don't know. Maybe you don't start an event by telling someone that what you're, what you're not. But I thought it was great for the PBR for a long time. The whole "this is not a rodeo" like it really stuck, and it was the one thing that really differentiated people and went, "Oh my God, you know, you're right. This is not a rodeo. This is, this is just PBR." Yeah. Is it? Is it true that they were gonna that they were gonna fire you guys if you said rodeo for a few years there? Is that was that a thing or no? God no, because I'd have been fired after day one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. I thought that it's funny. Like, there's I think there's always a lot of rumors, you know, floating around in a lot of different scenarios and situations. But no, I mean, I, you know, there there was there was never one time that I was ever told don't call like you know when jw harris came over or when the in the in the very early days in 10 years before jw harris like let's go to 0304 right there was never one time whenever i was said don't call that guy nfr qualifier don't don't call that guy uh, a world champion if he was a prca world champion like that was never ever ever talked about um not from Randy Bernard, not from the days when Tough was the president, not from Ty, not from Cody, not not from I mean, not from anybody. Those guys had tremendous respect. Um, those guys had tremendous respect for the guys that had come, you know, through the rodeo world and, and through the PRCA. Um, that was a PRCA thing. I mean, if you want to talk about something that's a gross display of insecurity, when when they on the NFR broadcast refuse to identify Jess Lockwood or people like that as a world champion or when, you know, some Shane Proctor, you know, when he's at the NFR, you know, they refuse to call him the PBR world champion. Like it, that's just the biggest chicken shit, most disgusting display of insecurity I've ever seen in my life. But no, they, they are the ones that did that. I can tell you as a guy for on the microphone for 18 years, I was never ever instructed to not mention pro to, to, to not mention pro rodeo or the NFR or any classification. I was always given free will to introduce a guy any way that I wanted to. They, they still scared to say it. They still don't. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I like, yeah. let them live in their little, let, let, them, yeah. let them, let them live in their world of, you know, whatever. It's fine. How, how was it announcing with Donnie Gate? Oh yeah, that was I had to yeah, go there like, too. That, that, that's gonna be. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> in a whale. <laughs> He's in the well. Don, Donnie the well. was great. And I, I announced with Donnie. I think I announced with Donnie like three or four, probably three or four times. I, I announced Tulsa's touring pro that David Bailey had with him. I announced that event in Fort Smith. I announced that event in some town in Texas. I cannot remember probably because I was too drunk and young. <laughs> But I started the rodeo when he flew over the arena in his plane, landed, and then showed up like 20 minutes late. Uh, that was an <laughs> interesting experience. 
he literally buzzed the arena with his plane over the top and landed in. And then he was, he was my co-announcer, but he didn't get there until we were in the steer wrestling. And, and then I announced somewhere else with him, I think Arcadia, Florida or something like that, which is a pro rodeo at the time too. But anyway, I, I mean, it was, you know, it was, you just, it, man, that's one of the things that allowed me to get, I think as far as I got was knowing when it was time for me to step aside. And if, and if someone wanted to run with the football, let them run with the football. I didn't always have to be the best. I didn't always have to be the guy in front. I didn't always have to be the star of the show. And I still fundamentally believe that that's the biggest problem that most announcers have in their career is they can't get out of their own way. When, when I left and whenever I was on, you know, the pro rodeo scene and, and things like that, Cody Lambert really was the one that instilled this in me. And, and thank God he did and got it through at such a young age. You know, I, I just learned really young, like, you're not the star. Those guys are. The guys getting on the bulls, the guys getting on the bucking horses, the guys not – like, they are the stars. I, don't make it about you. And there's a lot of rodeo announcers that can't do that. Like, they just can't. Like, they, they, they don't understand – they don't know how to do it. You know, they, they can't and – it's, and it's an ego thing. And I think that you have to have you, – you have to have some level of ego, right? Like, you have to be some level of narcissistic person to be able to stand up in front of – you know, 15, 20, 30,000 people and, and be a commentator, right? Like you have to have a certain level of confidence to, to pull that off. Um, unfortunately, that level of confidence and narcissism and ego and all those things kind of, unfortunately, they'll mesh themselves together. And I think I was really, really lucky to never, ever be cocky. Like, you know, I just, that was, that was what I prided myself on was never being arrogant, never being cocky. If I was announcing with Donnie Gay and he wanted to be the star of the show, I just kind of served it up to him on a platter and was like, here, be the star of the show. Call out all the scores, say all the weird, funky <laughs> shit that you want to say, and I'm just going to get back here and I'll, you know, help facilitate that. So, <clears throat> yeah. Did you did you work on the PBR video game when that, was, <laughs> when that came out? Which one? There's been The there's one been- that, like, the, the, the more famous one that came out, like, on when the Wii was a thing. Oh, it was out of the oh, shoot, very, out of the, the shoot. First, the very first yeah. one? Yeah. yeah. I think so. That game was awesome. I remember having it. I'd beat I it. Feel, like I, feel, I, mean, I, I feel like I did. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I worked on some of that stuff. There's a lot of those things that we did a lot of really cool stuff, but yeah. Well, going to going to the, your time with the PBR, uh, you're around for some of the greatest moments in the sports history. The first time they gave away a million bucks. Um, the 18 years or the 17 years after that first year, what is uh i don't even know where to go with this we could talk about the changes that you saw with the sport or the big moments i'm just gonna leave it up to you there where you want to go with it oh i mean you know i mean yeah i mean i remember being in colorado springs the day that chris rivers got on a little yellow jacket for you know for what was going to be a million dollars that you know bucked him off just on inside of five seconds but um i mean yeah i mean i'm i've been there for some for some really really big moments um trying to think of you know some of my favorites man and and was there was there ever a moment during those 17 years or 18 years where you were like you're announcing you're like wow like this is like a history like making moment in the pbr that's gonna be at the focal point for people for yeah man you know i mean i had the call on mcbride on camo which is what I call the greatest 76 point bull ride of all time <laughs> um and it's hanging off the side and just an absolute wreck. I mean, I, you know, I had the call there. Uh, 
I had to call on Chris Rivers whenever, you know, he got bucked off a little yellow jacket for the million bucks. I mean, you know, I remember going back to the hotel room that night and watching that on, you know, on sports center. That was pretty cool. And, um, you know, I, there, man, there's been a lot of them. My, my personal favorite moment, um, in the PBR, you know, my, my, my personal favorite was, was probably my final call. One of, one of my very final calls in, in 19 last year at the finals was coming out of the break, um, and, and I got to get this from them because I, and I'm not a real sentimental guy when it comes to like stuff like that, but like, they're just some little bitty things that I'd like to have. That, that was one coming out of the break, really, really cool story. I'm coming out of the break and I get the rundown final, I think, or maybe top three, right. Final three guys to go as we're coming out of commercial break championship round final Sunday world finals last year. And he's got smooth and, and chase outlaw has smooth operator. Um, I'll take you back before when we're actually in intermission. I, I pretty emotional day for me, right? At, at the end of the day, at, on that final Sunday was super emotional for me. Um, I'll give you all the good inside stuff here. <laughs> so that final Sunday was really, really emotional. I mean, from the time that I woke up to the time that, you know, because my wife was there and, and, and she had been, you know, pretty emotional over the weekend. And I just knew that that final day was going to be pretty heavy. And, and I wanted to give it every damn thing I had. Um, so I kind of let Clint have most of the, the bulk of the day, like when, until we get to intermission and we get to the final top 15 championship round and I get the draw and I'm looking all through the list. And the, the one that stands out to me is Chase Outlaw <laughs> with mathematically pretty much like a 0.001% chance of being able to catch anybody and win the world title. If he's going to do it, he's got to be 98 on smooth operator. And there's one bull in there that I thought a guy should have been 98 on, and that was Cooper Davis when he rode that bull in Atlantic City a season before that. I thought, by the way, I wasn't there. <laughs> it was a weekend I had taken off, which was pretty rare for me, but uh, taken off the weekend. Cooper Davis rides smooth operator, hands down the greatest bull ride I've ever seen in my life. Out of thousands of bull rides that I've watched in person, in person thousands of them that I've watched on tape, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you've watched this sport. Go back and Google it. Atlantic City, Cooper Davis, on Smooth Operator, is the greatest bull ride in the history of time. It, it, there's never been one like it. So if you guys want to take a look at that, if anybody wants to challenge that, I'd love for you to give me one that were a guy. Now, he didn't score 98. I think they marked him 93 and 4 or something. I mean, they could have marked him 99 and a half, and I would have been totally fine with <laughs> Um, but anyway, we come out of break and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to take a piss during intermission. I'm back to the world finals on championship Sunday. Oh, I didn't go like <clears throat> Judges and I are passing each other. And I've already started to pull this thing together because I know how it's going to line up when we get to chase out on smooth operator. And I know what I'm going to say. And I get in the, and the, me and the judges pass each other in the hall. And I said, Hey guys, I said, I, I appreciate it. This has been really fun and uh, all that fun shit. I said, but, I'm about to throw all of you under the bus. So please don't take it personal. <laughs> <clears throat> so we go through out of intermission. Those guys kind of look at me like, what? but you know, they didn't know where I was going with it. <clears throat> we come out of intermission and we get through the first 12. We take a final TV break and then it's chase outlaw on smooth operator. That was my favorite moment and favorite call of my entire career. Um, Ted, were you that were you, were you guys there? Last year at the World Finals? Yeah, 19 World Finals last year. 
I didn't make it down, but I was watching. So, one of the one of the things I want to get at is when they had the camera on you too, but like that was the intensity and in, in, on your face. It was it was a different view to see you talking during yeah. the event. Yeah, no, and we, we we can talk about that too. I mean, yeah, they did that a lot last year for whatever reason. I don't know because they'd never done it before, but. So we get to Chase Outlaw, and, and that was the moment where, like, I had to set the stage, and I was like, look, I, and, and this is basically what I said in a non-announcer voice, and, and I, I will try to find this clip and see if I can have somebody from PBR pull it from the files, but I basically had to kind of stop and look at the crowd, and I said, look, like, I know you guys are going to think I'm full of shit, but I promise I'm not full of shit. If there's one guy, and there's one matchup, and there's one situation where a guy needs to be 98 points, to have a shot at winning a world championship. This is that moment and it's right now. And then like, I kind of took them through what the story that I just told you about the judges, like I'm getting chills right now. Just about <laughs> it. Like really I am, because it was so, it was such a cool moment. And then I went and told the crowd and I said, because let me tell you about the mistake that was made in Atlantic city. When Cooper Davis rode this bull and should have been 99 points. And, and, and I said, in that day, the judges got it wrong. Some of those judges are here today, and they know they got it wrong. And, I mean, I just, like, literally dove way off out there. And, like, I look at Cody Lambert from the bucket shoots, and he's like, holy shit, the guys in the announcer stand are, you know, they're standing around me, and they're kind of doing the same thing. They're like, oh, my God, like, he's really going there. Because you, you just don't bash the judges. And I wasn't bashing them by any means. Like, they're all human, right? They all can – Anybody can, but but that particular matchup and that moment and that bull, <clears throat> and and I thought, I, I thought Chase Elwell was about to be ninety eight and a half. I really did. Like in my brain, like that's how I had worked it out, and that's you know what I wanted to want to be. Anyway, that was probably my my favorite moment, you know, of all, of all the world final. There and there were so many, man. Like there were some really cool ones, and <clears throat> but you know, Ted, like you you talking about the camera being the camera being on me. I think. I think that's the best way to describe to people for, for me to describe to people how I felt in those big moments, all those years at, at those events is, is like, I wanted to try and give you something that if you were sitting in the stands, like I wanted you to feel it. You know what I mean? Like I wanted you, I wanted to be as descriptive as I possibly could. So you could understand what it was like for that guy on the back of the bull in that moment in every single detail that, that made you feel, you know, that like, like you were a part of it and that, that you weren't just sitting back watching another, you know, guy throw a football, but that you were truly a part of it and, and feel the intensity of, of what the sport is about. So, and, and I think that's probably like when you go back and you look at when they put the camera on me on TV and, and those types of things, like that's, that's really, you know, what it, what it was. I, uh, I went back and found a couple of these clips so, and I sent it to everybody here so we can watch Cooper. I mean, just, I mean, you know, every, everything you possibly want one to do, like, I, you know, and it's, and it's kind of choppy right there. Like Ted's got it on the civil like, war like, setting. The, what's that? Ted has it on a civil war video setting. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty choppy right there. The way, the way that it comes through, but. Yeah, man, I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of bull rides in my life. I've, I've never seen one look like that. I've never. I have, I have a comparable for you. What about Jose's ride at the World Finals this year? Like, to me, that was the best bull ride I've ever seen. When he was 95 and three-quarter or whatever. 
So I've got that one next. Hold oh, on. Look how heavy. We're just going to watch this one back. I mean, I'm watching this in slow motion. I'm, I'm, look how heavy this bowl is. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it, it's just so rank. Like, I mean, so rank. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to watch those days. And I can tell you that there's no way that Whoopa is going to be nearly as strong as Smooth Operator. I mean. Yeah, I get what you're saying. On, that's, on a good point. A, that's a good point. The, yeah. The same amount of kicks not there. This bull's drifting out there, really gathering himself underneath. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a good bull, and I'm not taking anything away from Jose. But to me, those two – aren't even remotely inside of three points of one another. You know, like, I, I mean, I, I think, I think if you're like, to me, they instantly have to be flipped. I think the hype, now let me go back and say this, this is going to piss a lot of people off. <laughs> if you give me the call on Cooper's ride at the world finals in that situation in a championship round, Cooper's very likely 97 or 98. Yeah, I was just going to say, you go and you change the setting. This is a regular season event in Atlantic City. And nobody where... wanted to be there. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like, it was, like, you know, it was Atlantic City. And, and I remember when this came out on the schedule. And, and, and they were like, yeah, we're going to Atlantic City in September or middle October. I'm like, yeah, I'm not. Like, I'm <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. This, t- um, this ties really well into a question I really wanted to ask you about. I got presented a conspiracy theory last episode with Ted about how I don't think that the highest score ever recorded is ever going to be broken in the PBR. What do you think about that? Do you think we're ever going to see like a 97, 98 point bull ride? Like, cause like looking at these two guys we just watched, like they're a lot better than some of the 96s and nineties back in the day that we've seen. Uh, well, there's no, I mean, there's no question that like, I mean, even, yeah, I mean, you know, you, if you want to go back and – I mean, look, I, I, one of my favorite people in the world is Michael Gaffney. I was there the day he rode Little Yellow Jacket in Nampa, Idaho for 96 and a half. And... <laughs> it was, he got loaded. Yeah. I, I, I helped load him. I mean, I, I was one of the guys on the microphone, and, I mean, I was jumping up and down and, you know, making a big crazy deal out of it. Which is which you have to do, though. Like, but, but, it was exciting at the, at the time. But at the time – but at the time – you got to remember what the judges have to compare it to, right? Like they don't have a lot to compare it to and, and, and they can't see the future. They, they can't tell that in, in 2020 and 2019 and 2018, that, that we're going to have bulls that are true 46, 47, 48 point bulls. Right. So, I mean, so that's why you, you know, come back, you know, when you look at Bubba Dunn's ride, 96 and a half on promised land, spurred the bull in the neck all the way through in Tampa, Florida, you got Chris Shivers on Jim Jam, you got, you know, Michael Gaffney on Little Yellow Jacket. You got Blueberry Wine and Gilbert Carrillo in, in Albuquerque. Did, what else did I did I miss one? I think that's pretty much all of them. Uh, all all the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, none of those rides compare. I, from conspiracy theory, no. I I, I do <laughs> think that they'll I do think they'll break it. I don't yeah. I don't think there's a conspiracy theory there by any means. I think those guys are scared to death to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. I love Cody Lambert to death. We're great friends, but that's his fault. He's he's created that atmosphere with these guys, and he can say that I'm wrong until he's blue in the face, and we'll probably get in a screaming match over this. But <laughs> you know, he's put the fear of God in those judges forever, and and that's been a big problem for those guys. They they that's why I think some of them were scared to to Mark Cooper in Atlantic City, the true 97, 98 that he should have been. 
I think that's why, you know what I mean, you, you see situations where I think judges make mistakes because they're scared of, of getting their ass chewed by one of the best ass chewers I've ever been <laughs> So, I'd, li- I'd like to go back to, to what you were talking about before about you saying that if uh, Cooper Davis's ride was in the finals and you were announcing it, um, from a stock contractor point of view, and Wacy and Ted can give you the, the aspect of a rider view, but I feel like the announcer, depending of the, in the moment, you know, where we're at, um, what round it's at, but I feel like the announcer does actually have a little bit of touch of what the judges are going to score, depending on the hype before the actual bull ride. Do you, do you find that you can sell a little bit? It's, it's, it's extremely, it's extremely difficult and narcissistic for me to say, right? Like for, for, for me to really answer that question the way that I guess I'll call it pillow talk that, that, you know, my, my wife and I have, but yeah, I'll I'll be super blunt with you. And, and then my other challenges, I would ask you call Chad Berger, call Jess, call JB, call, you know, Cooper Davis, guys like that. And ask them if you, if you, if you need an extra point, or an extra two points and you, and you think, and it's a, some particular spot at the world finals or an event or whatever, what announcer are you going to take on the microphone? And I promise you 10 times out of 10, they're going to say me because I do believe that, that one, the one thing that I had and, 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 and I naturally got it. I don't know how I, I know how, but I don't know why I naturally got it was I had incredible timing and I had the ability to recognize moments and I had the ability to recognize when a guy needed an extra point or two and I couldn't influence the judges, but I could influence the crowd enough to influence the judges with the energy in the room. And oh, 100%. I've, I've, <laughs> I've watched me do it a thousand times and, and those guys can, you know, and, and it's, it's one of those things, right? It's not provable. You know what I mean? Like if I go to any judge or anybody, I'm like you didn't have anything to do with that. You didn't have any, you know, and, and that's, and that's their take. And maybe they're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, maybe I'm too narcissistic, right? Maybe I believe too much that I had too much influence, but I didn't influence the judges. I influenced the energy in the room. And that was one of the things I felt like I was really, really, really good at. And that's what I always said about me and JB. We have a real love hate relationship because JB did all the work. He wrote all the bulls, but I recognized the moments when JB needed a lot of energy in that room. And I, and I did a lot to help him get it. Are you on the mic when he rode? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. What was yeah. that like? Uh, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it was, he was JB, right? Like you didn't expect it to not happen. Like, he, you know, even out of the seven or eight times the bull bucked him off, like he, you know, you just knew that he had the ability and the talent to, you know, to, to write anything at, at any point in time. And, and, and he was really good at it. Well, I, I definitely, like I said, there, there's events and just scenarios, even certain events where you can tell, you know, um, you know, in a bull and a rider matchup and, and when the bull rides over, you know, if you're standing on the back of the chutes, you're like, oh, you, you know, that was a damn good bull ride, 87, 87 and a half. And then all of a sudden they're like 90 and you're like, what the hell did I see? But, but it, it, it's yeah. that moment. It's, the, you know, the energy in the room and, you know, it's, it's human where, you know, I'm not saying the judges get caught up in it, but everybody they, they does. They do. They're, 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 
they're human. I mean, everybody, everybody gets caught yeah. up in it, right? Like, I mean, you're, you know, because, because at the, at the point in time that your brain has to process and watch an, a, a bull ride, then it's over. And then you're dealing with people on their feet and everything's chaotic and things are crazy around you. Like your brain's now going, well, maybe what I saw was better than I thought it was. And, and you know what I mean? And that number is, is coming in, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, yes, I think I had a lot of influence over a lot of big moments, you know, in, in the PBR, not from the physical standpoint. I didn't have anything to do with writing the book. Those guys had to do that, that all of that. And I didn't have that much to do with it during the course of the eight seconds. It was the 30 seconds before the guy got ready to nod his head, because by the time the gate opened, I wanted you, I, I wanted you just, you know, bursting out of your own brain at, at what that moment was and what it was like. And, um, and, and it was just timing. Yeah. I just, you know, that was one of the things that I was really, really blessed to have that you can't teach, right. You can't teach timing. You either have it or you don't. I, I got to go back to, I got a couple things that the entertainment side of the PBR is part of the reason why it stands out. And we have a, such a better product than, than rodeo, honestly. There's a lot of good rodeos. The NFR has great content. There's a lot of great rides and a lot of great runs. But the entertainment product, I think it sucks. It's been the same for 25 years. Where the PBR, we, you, know, you guys have built a – over the years that you guys have built, and especially what you've done, is you build the storylines. You, you, I, remember, I remember being at the World Finals in 2013 was the one I really remember the most when – JB won his first world title yeah. at 13. He we was like 90, belt, like right? four times you know, that last week. Round? Yeah. And the people were, yeah, white belts in the last round, he rode SmackDown that week. He was 90 on a bull of Randy Cortieri's. Like there was just the storylines and you, and those setups where it's, you know, it's, it's Silvano and, and JB, the last two guys where it, where the, I've been in both those buildings. I, this is the first year I've been in the finals for the NFR since 2010 when I went to school there. Like I've seen that building and it's a snooze oh, yeah. fest. People are leaving before the bull riding's over. <laughs> we're at we're at the world finals, like nobody leaves till it's over because the best shit is at the end and it is fucking exciting. Yeah. No, I mean look, man, I mean, you know, the the I I don't mind going to the NFR and, and sitting down and watching rodeos and, and I'm I mean look, they 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 put together a pretty incredible product for, you know, a lot of years and but yeah, you know, like I, I can't tell, here's what I always say about when I'm, when I'm there, I can't tell the difference in the energy in the room from the second round to the 10th round. And I, and I've been, I've been to them all like, and, and there should be a difference, right? Like when you get in there in the second round, like, Hey, it's the second round. Sure. This aggregate money plays, but the round money is really what we're focusing on. Like, and there are storylines there that they just do not, you know, and the announcers will say that they don't let them tell it. And that's probably the reason that they'll never hire me to do the NFR because I can promise you if I ever get the NFR, I'll have it for one year because the whole time that they're telling me, Hey, stop, stop, stop. I'm going to be doing this right back. <laughs> Just, like I, I'm not going to stop. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not going to play that bullshit game. Like if you want, you know, the best storylines and the best moments and you want those setups, I mean, could you imagine the, the PBR finals and that energy every night yeah. in the NFR? It's possible. Oh, be, you can go get it. Yeah. it. It exists out there. And I would, I would, I would gladly do it, but I'm not, I'm not going to play the cookie cutter bullshit of, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to be boring. Like, and I don't, and, and I'm, and I'm retired. I don't have to anymore. It's kind of like groundhog day. Like it just going back, like 
I, I'm excited to stay home this year and not go because it like I'm bored of it for the most part. Like it's just not it's the same shit every time. There's different content. Like you have different rides, but the entertainment is shit. I think. But yeah, my uh, my where I wanted to go with part of that was. Do you ever, you, you might go for one year to the final, like to the NFR you're saying as an announcer, possibly, is that a goal still? Where, where is your. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think so. You know, like it, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it is, it's, it's funny. It's like a, at this point in time, it's an extracurricular goal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like if it happens great, if it doesn't, I'm certainly not going to lose any sleep over it. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, because I, I think whenever I was 17, 18, that was a goal that I set out. I said I wanted to announce the PBR finals and, and I'd like to announce the NFR. Um, I don't know. I, I want to do the NFR on my terms. And, and you know, right, golly, it's such a dickhead comment to me. <laughs> gonna, gonna so, gonna, you guys are going to say I mean, it. You got to say it. No, I know. But the problem is, like, there, there's certain things that I'm saying yeah. that make that make me look like I'm I'm not probably as humble as I am. And I promise you, I'm really, really, really humble. And, and, and I kind of was saying this jokingly, but Ryan Grownley the other night, which he's, he's on the committee, the Las Vegas events committee and, and NFR committee now. And he was, he was in my suite at the PBR finals the other day in Dallas. And, and, and I said, Hey, I said, you got that big rodeo. I said, I, I said, I wouldn't mind having a conversation one day. And he said, yeah, he said, everybody wants that rodeo. I said, yeah, but they're not me. <laughs> that was kind of where I left it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, it's a goal, man. Like I, it would be great. I have a, I, for as much as I can talk about and then kind of smack talk pro rodeo because they, they have a lot of flaws. So does PBR. Every, every organization has flaws, right? Um that you know it's it's still it's still the icon of rodeo you know what i mean like they they they've you know it's 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 still the prca and and it's you know whether i agree with everything they do or don't that doesn't you know kind of like but in the same time it's kind of like what i say about going to church and when somebody goes in the church and like oh, i don't like that pastor oh, i don't he didn't i don't like the way he preaches oh, i don't like how he does this i don't like maybe you need to come home and look in the mirror and go maybe it's me you know, like that, that there's some of that to be said that, you know, that's true. Like maybe they're doing the best that they can and everybody's got really good ideas of how to do it better, but you know, it, it's, maybe it's not implemented, you know, the correct way. And I've certainly been critical of PBR and a lot of things that they've done um, from upper management down, you know, because there's certainly a lot of things that I would do differently than, than, than how Sean does things. Um but that doesn't mean that he's wrong and that that doesn't mean that, that I'm right. Um, those are just opinions and, and theories. And I think that's how organizations get better. Um, do you, do you think if you were announcing at the NFR, would you have time to get into the many of those stories with how quick it, they run it? Would that have to change the format a little bit? Like, what do you think that way? It just runs so fast. No, I mean, I, like, I, I think you got to pick some of them, right? Like, and then once again, yeah. I think it, you got to have incredible timing. Uh, you got to be, you know, I can tell you that I wouldn't want to do it if Benji was the music guy. Nothing against Benji. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. doing, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like when I say on my terms, they're like, and there's, there's other announcers that would be like, oh my God, like, what are you saying? What do you mean your terms? Like, this is the NFR. Like, once again, I don't have to have it. This isn't a goal of mine that I'm going to, it's going to make a difference in my bank account, paying my bills or anything like that. It's not going to make a big difference to me. 
Um, but yeah, I wouldn't do it with Benji. Um, it would have to be, you know, Brad Narducci or somebody like that, that I could really get on time and page with. Man, let me, you know, I look, the, the guy's got some demons, right? And, and, and there's a lot of people that have talked, you know, have, and, and he did it to himself and, and he knows that he's a smart enough guy. But let me tell you, Mark Stevenson was a badass. And um, me and Mark Stevenson, like I could look at Mark Stevenson when I was in that booth at, as, as, as a PBR announcer and I could point and I mean, he, like he could, re- I mean, like read my mind, like almost know exactly what song I want at the exact right cue. Like that's rare. You know, like, and if, and if I had to pick a guy to go into a foxhole with and say, who's going to be, it'd probably be Mark, you know, I mean, I, he, cause he was, cause nobody has ever been able to read me like he, like he has been able to. But you probably haven't worked with anybody as much as Mark either on music. Very true. I mean, very, 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 very true. But I don't even think it was that as much as it was that we had the same vision of the same moments at the same time. Um, I think we just happen to think a lot alike in, in what the big moments look like. And when he was sharp and when he was really focused on it, man, he, he could really make it happen. And he was, he was, he was a badass. So did he pick bad to the bone or was that you or JB? It, no, it, it, it was me. Really? Yep. It was me. Um, I, I had, it was, you know, it was a combination that Previous to PBR is if you can, if you guys can believe this. When I was 18, 19 years old, I used to announce monster truck shows. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, great. Did you work with Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Did you Sunday. work with Cordo there? Is that yeah. where you met Cordo? Yep, that is where I met Cordo. Yep. And wasn't Kurt, Kurt there too, or who else was there? Was that Lunchbox too? Was he at the monster truck? No, well, he he wasn't at the. We, we never we never ran in the circles. I, yeah, no. Okay. But yeah, I did, I did meet I did meet Cordovano there, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, so anyway, Stevenson and I just had a conversation one day and I said, man, I was like, the guy needs a theme song. I'm like, it's gotta be something. I'm like, North Carolina, Dennis Anderson, great digger. Like, let's go back to the bone. And, and he played it and then we started playing it and that was it. Like it was, and it just stuck. When was that? Man, now you're getting me started. What was JB's rookie year? Oh, eight. Or oh, seven. Probably oh, nine. Probably. Actually, it's probably further back than that. It's probably oh, four or five. Because he's been to the finals like twenty times too, actually. Do you think that JB like uh, uh, after you know you guys did it a couple events and it just like got the crowd going, but JB went home to his hotel and was like, "Fuck, I hate that song." <laughs> I think a lot of guys. Yeah, I do. I think a lot of guys. I, I I think a lot of guys are like that. Like we, you know, we've we've picked a few songs for a couple of different guys, and I think that I think there's a few of them that. that Where did Calarme's Nickelback song come from? I, that was Did all he Mark. That himself? Was that Mark? I, okay. I think that was all Mark. I think I think all Mark picked it, and I hated it. God, of man. all the Nickelback songs you can pick, you picked that one. <laughs> yeah, out of <laughs> all the songs you could pick, that was the one that I was just man. There is just no way to build on the back of this. Like it was so <laughs> tough all the time. What are What are some other ones you? It was terrible. It's not a It's not a bull riding song. It's like a song if you're just like driving alone and feeling sad. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty what, much what, up Nickelback, right? Like hey, in, hey, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> I love what, Nickelback. What else Canadian? Guys, well, how could you? <laughs> they're a national treasure. Which were? What are some other ones you you guys put together? Like which one? What? What else? Oh man, I don't know. That, that there's probably that was really the most memorable. I, I think that was really okay. the only one. That's the best. One are there some fair. songs you can't listen to now? That when like just when you're traveling down the road, and you hear a song it's like ugh. 
that's the song. I, we let's play that every event I was at. I have a few of those from Corner Rodeos. Oh, probably that one Nickelback song we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've already kept you a long time here, Brian. I got two more things I really want to get to. The the moment you decided to retire, we were talking about this earlier, but you had a cool story behind that. Like you you knew kind of instantly when you were calling it. Yeah, I had thought about it. I, I had thought about it for years, I think, you know, just a, and, and, I, and I think I thought about it for years probably because I was, I was, I was convinced they were going to fire me one day. You know what I mean? That's just kind of what happens, right? Like if somebody comes in, that's better than you and you lose your job. And, uh, and, and I always felt and always thought that way. And I was always prepared for whenever I was the 22 year old kid coming in and, and talking about taking somebody's job that I was prepared for the next time a 22 year old kid was going to be better than me and take my job. Like it's just, you know, cycle of life. Right. But I, I never, I never ever really like just said, okay, I had just, you know, I'd gotten married in 2010, um, really, really settled down. I mean, look, man, from 2002 to 2010, like I was like, I, when I say, when I say wild, I don't mean like heroin wild, but I mean like, <laughs> I was wild, right? like, you know, like we, we drank a lot, partied a lot. Of course it was different back then. You know, you just did, you know, you did, you know, you just were, you know, you just were wild, right? Like you were in your early twenties and you were wild. But so when I met, you know, when I met my wife and, and my life completely settled down and turned the other way, which she probably saved my life, quite honestly. I think from that moment, from the time when her and I got married in 2010, we had casual conversations about me retiring or, or stopping, you know, announcing and, and, and being done and, and doing something else. And fast forward 10 years later, basically, or nine, um, that's how not serious we took it. <clears throat> but I was in a hotel room at Chad Burger's event in the summer of 19, um, some summer of, of 2019. And man, it was probably two o'clock in the afternoon. And I don't know what happened from two o'clock to 201. But I can just tell you that at like 201, that was it. Like I had a plan and a thought process and a decision in my head and I was done. And I called my wife and I said, Hey, I said, I'm, I'm retiring at the end of the year. And she said, Oh, we talked about this. You're not serious. You're not going to do it. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, she really just kind of blew it off. And, <clears throat> but I mean, yeah, I, I was, and I was black and white, like so much. So I downloaded a countdown app and put it on my phone and it was my <laughs> screensaver for the final day of the final Sunday at the world finals. And, and I, I had told a few people in my inner circle and they were like, are you sure? And, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And man, I don't know. I just, I just decided, but that, that's where it happened. And it happened in Bismarck at Chad's event, um, you know, that, that weekend. And it was, it was actually the day before the, it was that Friday, you know, the event was a Friday and Saturday, Friday and Saturday night. And it was that Friday, Friday afternoon in the good old Ram Coda there in, in Bismarck, North Dakota, where I just, <laughs> I don't know. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. I decided that I was done. Um, I think it was a combination of, you know, we, we had, you know, we had just, you know, we're just having, was it, yeah, just, just had our second daughter or third, you know, I've got a 13 year old, a five year old and now almost two year old had three kids and I, I just didn't want to be gone all the time. And I just wanted to be home. And I just felt like there was, you know, stuff that I could do. And, and, and I had started rural cloth and, um, at that point in time, real close about a year old. And, and I really, really wanted to focus on, you know, my, my company there from a, 
the apparel standpoint. And, and it was one of those things where I knew that if I was going to make rural work that I had to go all in. And the only way for me to go all in was to walk away from the job that I'd had for so long. And, and I, I just felt like it was time. Uh, when you mentioned, mentioned rural cloth, why don't you talk you, a bit about like, how that came to be? Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, rural was just one of those, you know, rules is something where I had, I felt like I'd come in contact so much with so many people in the, in the Western lifestyle, rural lifestyle. And I felt like they had three options, which were basically like Wrangler, Cinch and Ariat. And I just didn't feel like some of those brands necessarily spoke to those people in, in, um, in, in a way where they made a really cool product that maybe wasn't super widely available and it wasn't real retro and, uh, and in some case wasn't, you know, great quality. And that was kind of where I, you know, decided, you know, in my brain, I just thought like we could make a really cool, fun product and a brand that specifically spoke to this consumer and, I, I just, I don't know, man. I just felt like I could do it. And, and I don't think I had any idea how hard it was going to be or how hard it is. Um, Cause if I had, I known how hard it, it was, then I don't know that I would have pulled it off or, or even, I'm not saying I pulled it off. I'm not saying what I don't, I don't know that I would have gotten this far. So. I got, I got to go back to the retirement part. The announcers don't retire at 40 years old. Like, these guys are a lot of guys are still going in their mid seventies Yeah, for some guys like that had to be a huge challenge that way. Everybody just thought it was bullshit at the beginning. Probably uh, it, the, the truth though, the, the, the real truth of, of why and because, and, and I really, really try to live this way, man, look like we talked about this on the phone earlier today, a little bit too, like the one commodity and resource you cannot get back is time. I can make more money. I can build more shit. I can start more companies. I can have more kids. Hell, I can probably have kids if I don't go get a vasectomy until I'm 70. I can do anything like that kind of crazy stuff that I want. But the, the, the one thing that you can't get back right is time. Like you just can't get that back. They don't make any more of it. And I don't say that I want to make life as hard on myself as I possibly can because I don't. But I want to find out what I'm made of. And the only way I was going to find out what I'm made of is if I leave the one thing that I'm super, super comfortable with to go start something else. And that was it. I mean, it wasn't that I retired, so to speak, from work because I didn't retire from work, but I did everything that I wanted to do in PBR. And then I wanted to say, okay, I want to go start this and I want to try that. And if I fail and if I wind up homeless, so be it. But at least when I die, I won't have regret because I can promise you that if you're lucky enough to live to be a certain age and you wind up in a nursing home or you happen to be lucky enough to die at home and have your family surrounded, you're going to be forced with a true thought of like, do I have regret, right? Like, is there regret? What did I not do that I really wanted to do? And even if you had a 99.9% chance of failing at it, but you tried it anyway. And I, I just don't want to live with regret. I don't want, I don't, when it comes down to those last moments, I don't want there to be regret. Did, uh, did like, was it, was it just that? Or like, did Paul, like the politics of, you know, like you said, thinking of, you know, some young kid coming in, taking your spot and you're like, you know what, man, I, I don't want to deal with that shit anymore. Fuck it. I'm out of here. Never, never, no. never, never had any, never had anything to do with that because the arrogant side of me yeah. thought that I was probably the best ever. 
the 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 the, the true arrogant side of me like the you know when we talk about if you're going to be somebody that's going to talk in front of 15 or 20,000 people a night like there's a certain level of you that has to be cocky right and I think I'd gotten to that point where I was 40 where there's a part of myself I was drinking my own Kool-Aid and I still think I drink that own Kool-Aid where I yeah I, I genuinely believe I was I'm the best ever I, I know how narcissistic and ridiculous that sounds but so no, but I, so my, my answer to your question is no, I never left because I thought somebody was going to push me out or no, I left because I wanted to be the absolute best there's ever been and leave on my terms. So, and will you ever go oh, back? I, I mean, I don't know, maybe for fun. Oh, I mean, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I guess to some level, right. Because like the other day when they, you know, somebody called me, Jess Lockwood called me when I was on my way to, to the PBR finals and said, Hey, Clint just had a positive COVID test. He wound up having two negatives right after that. So he had a false positive, obviously, but you know, had a positive COVID test. We're going to need an announcer. And I text Sean and, and Richard Jones. and said, Hey, I said, I heard you guys need a guy. If you need some help, let me know. I'll be there at two o'clock. So, I mean, you know, yeah, it, in a sense, like I'm never going to I'm never going to say never. Um, and that's why I like going back to the PBR, like saying like, do they do everything perfect? No, but they know that. But do I have any ill will towards anybody there or did I leave because of ill will? Absolutely not. I left on my terms and my terms only. Um, there was, it wasn't a pay dispute. It wasn't, a, we're not hiring you enough dispute. It wasn't a contract dispute. It was just like, Hey, I want to focus on business and I want to spend some time with my family. And that's why I'm leaving. Were you supposed to come to Calgary this year? Was that in the books? I we, thought I heard we've about talked. that. Maybe. I, I don't know how public that is supposed to be necessarily. Ooh. Because, you know, I don't, I don't know. Spilled the beans. <laughs> oh, probably, I'll, probably get, I'll probably get in trouble. But no, I mean, we, we, we've talked. You know, we, we've, uh, we, we've, we've had some – Keenan and I have had some conversations about, you know, about Calgary. And, and, you know, he's kind of alluded to the fact that he would like to see if, if one day I could get there or he could get me there. And – you know what that means or does he want to move anybody out i have no idea does he want to bring in another voice for something i have no idea you know what i mean we, so I, I don't know that any you know it's necessarily to replace anybody but but we we have had discussions about yeah that's kind of i mean I and that's kind of a bucket list event for me too like i would really like to come up there and you know not not in november i'd just like to experience canada yeah, not in november <laughs> oh man are they have there why'd you say not in november well, yeah remember well you came for the global cup right? <laughs> yeah i came i came for the global cup and i did uh i did tsn one oh Canadian yeah finals. the finals in like oh six five seven back in the yeah. beginning for the global cup yeah, it was five. cold as balls yeah. out that was when i had hair i had hair yeah. too. <laughs> TSN, no cowboy hat i had hair <laughs> um we got to go back to rural cloth a bit, Brandon. Talk about how that's gone for you so Where far. Where is it? that going? Uh, I, I read some about. Yeah, but I want you. I read some about it that, that you, your plan is in five years to ideally sell it. And another thing I read was about some about goals with you. Big thing for you is you, you said you have a vision board and, and a few things down the road you want to accomplish. But goals and writing them down, I think that's that's a big part of stuff I do. I have these books that I write in all the time and they always have goals in them. That's a big part no, of what no you do doubt. too. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know where you read that. I, Cause I remember saying that not too long ago in some interview for somebody, but I can't remember who it was now that you bring it up. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, or yeah. I think maybe we talked about it on Matt West podcast or, or something like that when we were doing the interview with NFR. Man, like, if there's one thing that I had people to, that I, that I could tell people, and they're like, okay, I want to do this. What do I do? Just go write it down. I know that seems like a trivial act. I can't explain why your subconscious will drive you in the direction that your subconscious will drive you, but I promise you, it will drive you farther than you could ever imagine. Um, you know, there there's some statistics out there I read in, in one of my planners or something that you know just the act of writing it down makes it 30 percent more likely to happen i mean that, that, that's the one simple step but let me prove to you how accurate that is if you go back and read my english four teacher my senior year of high school they had us write down goals where we would be in 10 years this was 2000 i'm sorry this was 19 <laughs> <laughs> 1997 senior year graduated in 97 and mine was that I would have been announced the NFR or the actually probably said PBR finals or it probably said both quite honestly that that I would be a career announcer this was my senior year of high school by the time 2007 happened I had announced the PBR finals five times just from writing it down, I mean, not just from writing it down, right? I did the things that put the motion, but I'm just saying that the act of writing it down, like it came true, like that visibly, physically came true. And man, like I've just seen my subconscious drive thing. We didn't even talk about the other career that I had for 10 years while I was a PBR announcer. And one of the other big things that I wanted to do is I wanted to hunt. I wanted to be a, a I, don't, I don't want to call it a professional hunter because damn sure isn't that. But I wanted, to, I wanted to have a job hunting on television, on camera. I, I mean, I hosted a television show for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation for 10 years on the Outdoor Channel. And we didn't even talk about that. That was all in the midst of being a PBR announcer. But that was a goal that I had as well and, and happened to meet the right person at the right time and knew the CEO of RMEF and they needed a TV host. And, I mean, it was just all kind of spun around. And, you know, like your subconscious will drive you to achieve things that you just never even realize that just the simple act of you like focusing on it mentally. Yeah. I'm a huge, huge advocate for goals and, and writing it down, whatever they may be. And, and you may think it's simple and silly and dumb, but I can tell you right now that if you go write down that you want to be a millionaire and you put it on paper and you focus on that mentally, I'd be willing to bet there's an 80% chance it happens. You're not the only guy that said that either. Like Connor McGregor, who's, uh, you know, everybody knows. He's the one who said, I, t I talked myself into being a two-time UFC or two-belt holder UFC champion. He talked himself yeah. into that. He said when he started, people are like, what are you going to do? I'm going to be a world champion. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And he said that's what he told people. Yeah. And then he, he did it until until – that's Dude, what he when, was. Whenever I was announcing those monster truck shows, I mean, I remember telling people, they were like, what do you do? Like, how, how do you like this job? I'm like, I hate it. This is a pit stop. I'm on my way to the PBR. Like, I mean, that was literally what, you know, I was like, this is, this, I'm, this is a gas station for me. You know, like I, and I was, I was that vocal yeah. about it. Um, and, and he's not wrong. I mean, there's, you know, like, I'm just telling you, man, like I, I, I will bet on the subconscious before I bet on anything else. One. So, and you, uh, you've also been an agent for probably this entire time too. I don't know when you started that, but with Prodigal. November, two, November, 2009. Yeah. And you have like Lockwood's one of your guys too. And has been since the beginning, since he was in high school. Yeah. Found him, found him in high school. Matt Triplett sent me a video of him and I had seen somebody. And, and the moment I saw him, like I, like the moment I saw him, I thought, 
he's got the talent to be the greatest ever. Willie, I don't know. hadn't met the kid yet. But when I saw him instantly, I knew that he had the talent to be the greatest of all time. How much were his uh, fines to wear his DeWalt, Stanley DeWalt stuff at the high school finals? He didn't have any fines. <laughs> <laughs> didn't they have? Didn't you have to get them to sponsor the finals? Or what was the story there? I thought there was something about he had to pay extra to get those on his. No, no, we we never. I mean, okay. no, I, I don't. I don't know where that rumor came from, but that that never happened. No, the way that I mean, the the way that the Stanley Dewell sponsorship for him came about is, is whenever I found him in high school, I called his mom and I said, "Hey, your kids." And, and without saying it, I basically was like, "Hey, your kids, the reincarnation of Lane Frost, probably the most talented athlete I've ever seen in my life." Uh, and I'll tell you that I I did actually side screen Lane and him. And it is really eerie if you ever do it. Like if you if you go back and you look at a couple of lanes rides and, and you look at Jess and you watch them side by side, it's really really creepy to see what what you see there. Um, and no, I'm not some crazy theorist of reincarnation, but I'm just telling you that he's <laughs> the closest thing I've seen to a talent level to that. Um, and then I knew what the kid had, and, and, and whenever he, you know, first turned 18 and started going to some PBRs, I called my main guy there, Stanley Black and Decker, and I said, hey, I said, you got a budget, 30 grand. You don't have to pay him, but put 30 grand aside, and if he makes it on tour, then you pay him. And, and then he, like, wound up being in the top yeah. five that year. Dang. So. I want I, – we'd have so many more conversations about so many different things. We even – we were talking earlier about who the greatest of all time time is, and – no, I mean, yeah, I, I can. I mean, I get. I can spend. I can spend a minute on that. I mean, yeah. I, man, I don't. I mean, look. I, I think J. I think JB had the opportunity to be the undisputed greatest of all time. He'll hate me for saying this, and a lot of fans will. But he's he's the one that squandered it. I mean, he 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 could have been a five, six, seven time world champ, probably. I I believe. I believe he had that type of talent, that ability. I think he had a really difficult time separating the fun life from the work life. And that's okay. Like, right. Like that's, that's, that's him, right. It's a matter of how you view what's important to somebody in the time frame that they're, because he may not trade any of those experiences for five or six more world titles, right? Like he, 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 and he might, I don't know, but I think if he's really, really honest with himself and anybody that's really a, an advocate of his or an advocate of the sport and, and understands it and follows it as closely as I have for 18 years, they're really honest with themselves. It'll be challenging for them to say that JB didn't cost himself multiple world titles because he couldn't separate the fun life from the work life. Um, so it's hard for me to not say that he's not likely maybe the greatest of all time. Um, I think fundamentally, I think Jess will go down, you know, when people look at it from what he's been able to do at 19, then 21, now, you know what I mean? He can win three by the time he's – before he's done being 23. That's that's crazy, you know what I mean? Like, when you look at it – but, yeah, I mean, and, and, and when Jess wins his third, there won't be a fourth. He's done. So, he, he, he will retire after the third world title. We've talked about it many, many times. He has no desire to go on and try and be five, six, seven, you know, world champs. He, he wants to win three and tie that record and do it at a very young age and let everybody argue about who's the best ever. Wow. So, so how does that compare on the rodeo side of things where you got a guy like Kimsey or Donnie Gay? If you're, gonna, if you're going overall, do you, how do you compare them? I, I, don't, I don't think we can compare Donnie because it's, it's such a different time. He might have won eight, but he flew a plane around to get two more 
rodeos to be able to get to more places and win more money because that was what the system was. I don't know if he actually rode much yeah, better. Well, I don't know. I mean, look, in, 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 in Donnie's time, Donnie was the greatest ever, right, in his, in his time. You know, um, the rules are just different, right? Like you can't, like someone can't make a legitimate argument to me and say Sage Kimsey's better than Jess Lockwood or Kaike Pacheco or Cooper Davis or J.B. Mooney or Justin McBride or, you know, I mean, I can go on and I can keep going. And the reason they can is because, number one, Sage isn't competing on that level of bulls. He has done very well when he's had to. So that tells me that he has that type of talent and that ability. I'm not taking that away from him. But doing it consistently week in and week out. Because if you tell me that my job is harder because I have to travel more and I have to get on more bulls and I have to go to more rodeos, that doesn't make you better in my book. That makes you not as smart because you're doing it for less money. You know, and I, and look, I'm I'm not against, I'm I'm not against Sage Kimsey or what he's done. I just want people to put it in the, and put that box in the right comparison and say, look, you know, like Sage Kimsey is 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 the is a rodeo god, and then there's the bull riding gods over here, and those are two. They live on they live in two different universes, you know, because they do live in two universes, completely different universes. Yeah. Well, I uh, we super appreciate your time, Brandon. This has been awesome. We got one more question from Wacy over here. He's got one more to finish us okay. off. Right, something we ask every guest: What is your <laughs> definition of cowboy shit? Oh man, <laughs> the most important question. Really, what is, your, what is your definition of cowboy shit? Man, I yeah, you know, um, my my definition of cowboy shit is. I think it's probably, you know, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, like, that's a really hard question. <laughs> like when you're, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. to go feed your animals and, 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 you know, doing it in the pouring rain and it not mattering if, if they're, you know, where, where it doesn't matter if, if you're hungry or you don't have any, if you don't have any food and you can't pay your bills, you, you know, they come first and you got to take care of your, you know, your farm and your ranch. And, you know, that's one definition of it. I want to also compare it to, you know, of, you know, partying like crazy and running up and down roads for an entire summer and, you know, experiencing that, that whole Western lifestyle and rodeo life. I mean, that's one definition of it as well. And, you know, when I compare it to hunting, like, you know, hiking seven or eight miles up and, 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 you know, gaining 2,500 feet of elevation and burning 1,500 calories, like to me, that's another definition of it as well. I mean, I think anything that you take to the extreme and you disregard personal well-being that is likely the definition of cowboy personal extreme disregard for personal well-being let's call it that that's good that's good again you can check out uh rural class ruralcloth.com get your merch uh, anything else you want to add brandon or we call her good no i mean i'm gonna get in trouble by my team because we didn't talk about rural cloth enough but you guys should go check that out ruralcloth.com uh maybe the next time we get do this together we'll talk about the clothing business we'll get you we'll get you oh, when yeah. we do Calgary. we got if you want to get more in we can headquarters thanks brandon thanks right, brandon appreciate it
This is episode 79 of Cowboy Shit with Ted Stove and Wacey Anderson, James Foley. Thanks again to Brandon Bates for being on this episode. We, uh, we were trying to find a guest that was going to fit before the NFR, and then we ended up talking about basically the nothing, PBR most. Yeah, basically <laughs> nothing to do with the NFR. So I guess off this part of the show, for those that are curious, and I mean, we, we try to make these shows so they're not super time sensitive. We do a little bit of a mm-hmm. current events, but with the way podcasts are listened to, uh, we don't, you know, we try not to go too far into events because we don't want a, a show to be not, you know, we don't want to be show to be irrelevant as soon as it's, you know, mm-hmm. so anyways, uh, for the people that are curious about the NFR, we got what, like five Canadians going this year. We've got mm-hmm. Levi Simpson, Jeremy or Levi Simpson, Colton Schmidt, Oren Larson, Zeke and Zeke Thurston. Is that right? One, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Curtis Cassidy. Isn't Curtis Cassidy going to? Yeah, there's yeah. five. I said five. So Cassidy. So we got five going. For those wondering, you can watch it on the Cowboy Channel app, cowboychannelplus.com in Canada. That's the only way. Find, you, can, you can find another way, but you're probably going to get uh, bad stuff on your computer. Probably get some virus. You don't want it. I've tried, I had that happen one time. Don't recommend it. Yeah, don't do it. Just <laughs> Unless you have an American dish, you can watch it on RFD or the Cowboy Channel. Otherwise, just get the app. Pay the 75 bucks. Watch it there. Call it good. So that's a bit in our NFR Which chat. This uh, for this cheaper than a ticket. Yeah, for this. I have two NFR hot takes. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I was gonna move first on. First one. Can... First one. Sage Kimsey's not gonna win the world this year. Ooh, really? Hot take. Who's gonna be Chase Doherty? Ooh, be... uh, Boudreaux Campbell. Yeah, Bo- yeah, he could, that could be a thing. That could be a thing. Second hot take. Oren Larson's winning his first world title this year. You think so? He's gonna beat Tim O'Connell. Will they really laugh? I think he's gonna. A Canadian. Bear I think it's gonna happen, man. I think it's gonna happen for the first time since 1933. Could happen, man. I believe those are my two hot takes. I'd love to see it happen. How about Zeke could tie Marty Woods with the third gold buckle for for Canadian? I wouldn't be a surprise though if he won again. I think he will in his career. I think think so, but like, like to me, like Zeke winning again isn't a surprise because like we know he can do it. Yeah, and like he's done it before. Whereas like if Oren wins, it's like wow, man, like he did it. But, That's badass. And Oren's not taken away from Zeke, I guess. But Oren's already getting up there. If he was, if he were to the win the world, he'd be, you know, he'd go down as one of the greatest or the greatest bareback rider ever from Canada in our lifetime. Oh yeah. So I'd love yeah, to see it happen. Too. I hope he does it. Hope mm-hmm. he does it. Uh, um, in the team up, we got Levi Simpson, Colton Schmidt. They could uh, show up and do some do some good work there again. Levi could be a two time world champ. You know, I think that'd be cool. I don't know all the sp- specifics with the NFR this year, but at one point, it wasn't going to be – the payout wasn't going to be the same. They're just competing for points. I don't know the whole story there yet. I mean, we probably mm-hmm. should know some of that stuff, but I don't at this point. But um, anyways, Paul, do you want any NFR no, I'm hoping – I want to see Zeke win again. <laughs> but uh, no, you yeah. know what, man? I haven't paid attention to fuck all rodeo. I couldn't even I'm tell you like – anything because i haven't gave a shit all year i just like i've just been like yeah there's no events up here i ain't fucking paying attention so mm-hmm. you know go team go team That's legit That's go. legit oh go sports <laughs> go sports go team, go team yeah, canada go team canada um yeah first time first time i haven't been to the finals uh at, like in the last 10 years since 2010 i've been every year since 2010 now. are you sad about that uh, partially, but partially not. I'm, I, like I said earlier with Brandon, I'm excited to stay home and just be here, mm-hmm. uh, be here for, for that time of the year. You know, I just haven't done it in a long time and some Christmas. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
be home, be able to watch it on TV like everybody else. I'm kind of looking forward to not having to be in Vegas for two weeks. That shit usually always got sick. Usually was always way too dehydrated. Got drunk a few nights down there. Like it was, it was fun. It's a good time, but like, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to miss it that much. We'll see. I probably won't watch any. Me either, but I bet you the atmosphere is going to be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. At, that, at the baseball I, stadium. I think like it's gonna be too t- far. The PBR away. finals was a good indicator for it, though. The PBR finals yeah. seemed to have a good atmosphere from what I saw. The one thing about Texas, man, they love their rodeo. They love three things: freedom, yep. fried chicken, rodeo, one. That's oh. Texas. Uh, <laughs> and Whataburger. And, <laughs> and Whataburger. I gotta go. I got to go into one story with Brandon. He talked about, uh, he talked about bad of the bone and how that was actually his idea, which I think is pretty neat. I no. didn't know that. Did you guys know that? Didn't know that. Man. So, so I was in New York city one time in 12, well, it was in 2015 for the PBR and Mark, like Mark Stevenson told me to bring my laptops down there just to go, you know, I don't know, learn some stuff from him kind of thing and whatnot. So I'm sitting there like during the perf, like Friday and Saturday at Madison square garden and then finally on like Sunday afternoon in the long round, he, uh, Mark's like, all right, Ted, bring your stuff over. So I was like, I literally sat in the production booth the whole weekend waiting to like get a chance, maybe play some music and, you know, learn some stuff. Like I just sat and listened the whole time and saw the production and, you know, just try to like learn as much as I can, take it all in. And then Sunday afternoon, middle of the long round, he lets me jump in. I remember uh, playing some different stuff there. I tried to like mark off what he was playing the whole time. So I didn't double up on anything. And then, I ended up getting, I got to play uh, Bat of the Bone for JB at MSG. And I remember I just had it like pinned at one point when, when like, when it was JB's turn, like I went in with the song and Bates was like, he was announcing, I don't know if he would remember it. I should have asked him, but I'm just like, just a guy showing up. I think he looked over and he's like, what the hell? And I remember Flint was like, holy shit, Millhouse. Like he was pretty pumped that I got to like rock some tunes there too. But I remember playing Bat of the Bone for JB and like might've made the system and msg bleed a little bit because i had my <laughs> levels up a little too high and it was a little loud when i first cranked it up for that first first riff when uh, when the song started it was kind of uh something i want to kind of go on a little spicy yeah something i want to ever forget those kind of a that's deadly neat memory that you know it's pretty awesome for mark to give me that opportunity to you know get on that stage even if it was just for you know to help me with being in those big moments and looking the timing and one thing i remember with mark was the transitions there was one point where clint yelled over at mark like man nice transition because mark played the music so smooth from one song to the other that i could like i noticed it after after clint said it but i could even, i could hardly tell the song changed he had the beats lined up so well and he changed the song over that it was like it was smooth to where that's something that i've aspired to since is to make those transition as smooth as i can to where people don't even realize I'm changing it on the, on the in-betweens and changing the flow and keeping it mm-hmm. as smooth as I can. So it's, it's worth, very worth Do you think that that's something that could go hand in hand with the announcer though? Like if the announcer has people captivated and stuff enough that they like, could the transitions like go work together? Like if, if, if I transition with my voice into something new and then you kind of like put the music under it. Yeah, I have to. That's, that's yeah. what separates the better mm-hmm. music guys from the average one is that mm-hmm. we recognize and know that. And like, you know, one thing, one thing, um, Brandon mentioned about the the NFR and he would never do it with Benji is, is like, I, I don't know. I've, I had a conversation with Benji one time cause he was playing the national anthem for like some Canadian people. Like he'd play a little bit of the anthem and I was like, man, Benji, I really, I have a problem with that. Like, I think that's disrespectful to our anthem to do that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, Lee Graves told me he wanted me to do that. And I'm like, okay, well that might be his, his choice, but I think it's disrespectful to just play part of our anthem. 
you're supposed to be standing up and have your hat off for the anthem. And you're going to play part of it at the rodeo, like in the middle of the perf. Like I'm not going to play the, play the star spangled banner during a perf in Canada. Like, come on, yeah. man, that's fucking brutal. So I just, like, I know I, I realized lead that, but like, but the, the thing with Benji is that he has to fit in so many certain spots with the NFR. Like it's, it's, there's no words hardly on any, any music. They got to fit them in or script them or whatever. Like where Richard or, or, or Mark or Brad, those lyrics are an important part of the song. When the, when the song's not natural, it's such an awkward transition to go into those, that music without some lyrics. Sometimes I think, I mean, well, music brings a whole other energy to the show though. Right. Like, Oh yeah. Whereas with the NFR and with, with Benji's work, like, you know, I, I would probably tell him to his face, honestly, like, I mean, it might give me blackball, but I don't give a shit if I ever fucking do the NFR for music. I know it might be a goal for some folks, but like, I could give a fuck if I'm ever there for music like what Bates said he said it's on his list still he'd like to go on his terms but like I don't even know if I ever want to do it like I got some other stuff I want to do I enjoy doing music in Canada I love doing all the finals I want to work the CFR I want to work Calgary but like the NFR it's not even really on my list as a music mm. guy like I just yeah, I'm kind of I don't think I'd want to go and do it the way it's structured at this point either so I mean I don't know I don't know if I'd even even get a chance to do it what's what's one event to. that you want to do Teddy it's, uh he's right Calgary, the Stampede in Calgary. That'd be that's a bucket list. That and the, and uh, Pinoca, Calgary, and the CFR for me for music. That those are some big ones that I want to do in Canada here. And I mean, I want to do the you know I, w- I wish I could have got to do the Global Cup in Edmonton the year they had it. I understand the top tour like Mark got to do it, which was unreal. He did an amazing job. I got, I'm glad I got to watch it and be a part of that event that way as a fan. Basically, I was working, but it was you know working for fuck all for money anyways. But any like those are a couple that I want to do music wise, but I mean, yeah, the NFR really isn't even on a list at this point. I'm kind of know where we got to go in Canada, but it might be a bad way. Like it might not look like I want to really get to that next level, but I, I want to really own things up here in Canada. Music does add to the whole production so much. Like if somebody drops them, mm-hmm. it can make a, it can make a mediocre rodeo and it, and it, and it rodeo, puts a little cherry on good. moment. You know what I mean? Like, like, like yeah, when, when Brandon thing, was talking yeah. about, you know, when we were talking about the points where I asked him, you know, do you think, you know, it, it's the whole energy. It's the, it's that song. It's how he comes in. It's how the crowd responds. But you know yeah. what I mean? If, if uh, the, the duck song that, you know, comes on at a, you're like, the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Or the yeah. fucking hamster dance. Yeah. Right. It's a huge part of it. Right, like that's man. Okay, sidebar, quick. The the chicken dance gets way more flack than dessert. What do you mean? Like, if you don't play that at your wedding, I'm pissed off with it. And people are like, oh, I'm gonna have a wedding. I'm never gonna let them play the chicken dance. Fuck that. Yeah. And well, you know what? <laughs> Fuck you. It's fun. The what what Brandon was talking about. <laughs> what Bates was talking about with with the like with him and Mark being on the same page. That's something that Brett Gardner and I strive to do up here. Is that. We want to know where we're going. Sometimes we have to talk about it first, like, and mark off a few, like we'll start the program with like, you know, when we're going to, when we're when we got Dakota up, or we got, we got Brock or Lonnie at these big events and the titles on the line, we got to have the, we actually set aside different parts and we mark out these different guys where we got to build this. we got to make it dramatic. Like we got to add to it. We're like at some rodeos, a guy can just go in and, and an actor can just go in and say, Oh, next we're going to go down to Dakota butter. And it could be, you know, everything can be on the line and they don't even acknowledge it. It's just like, they're just saying the names and scores. Like that's, you can, you can be an announcer and say the names and scores and have a nice voice. But the next level is that entertainment part of it where it's, 
you know, we're, we're turning it, making it a dramatic piece oh, of 100%. entertainment, right? Which, which builds tension and stuff like that too. Yeah. Which makes it big part yeah, of yeah. memorable. Yeah. Anyways, anyways, the NFR, I think does a shitty job of it <laughs> and I'm not going to miss it this year. <laughs> yeah. On to the next one. What do you That's guys fair. got to finish the show up? I want to talk about activities I shouldn't allow people this to is, This is dear to your heart, Lacey. <laughs> this is that because this is, but no, man, it bothers me so much. Like, especially like coming from like being like a cowboy in Western hey, Wacy, background. Like, Wacy, how many times have you said like on this show so far? I don't know, man. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> You're coming from the guy who wears jeans to work out. That was, we were watching TV and it was just like, it just happened and I don't give a shit. They got, they got, but even, up. but even like people golfing like, in jeans or like lounging in jeans. You're just defending yourself because so hey, you wear let, jeans all the time. I I don't I, I get it. We like we get it, Teddy. You're sponsored by Wrangler. Okay, here, Real here. sick. But wear some fucking sweat. I, wear I some fucking story. sweatpants once in a while. I wore I wore sweatpants for the entire day the other day. It was probably Wrangler. Pretty sweatpants. awesome. No, they were Lululemon. They were awesome. Uh, brand drop Lululemon. Get at us if you want to be part of Cowboy shit. Um. So here. Yeah. So no, look us up, Canadian brand. I totally get where you're it's coming good. from, but I think. Like there's, there's the, the Cowboys who feel like if they don't wear. Yeah. Wranglers. <laughs> I'm not cowboy a cowboy hat. Cowboy so shirt. I'm not a cowboy. Fuck that. Polaire PBR. Right. I get up at seven in the morning, load bowls, drive to Flair. I get home at Sunday morning at eight in the morning. So it's 25 hours on the way there. I'm like, I'm wearing shorts and a shirt. It's plus fucking 25 out. I don't give a shit. Pulling bulls in the stock Fuck trailer. Yeah. I pick up Derek Adams, who's a judge. Gets in my truck. Looks at me. The first thing he says is, back in my day, you never look like that. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck, Derek. I'm comfy. <laughs> I'm, I'm driving the truck. I'm going to be comfy home as shit. tomorrow morning. So we get to the bull riding. I unloaded bulls in my shorts. Nansen like, looked at me and was like, what the hell are you doing? I didn't give a shit unloaded bulls hung around in my shorts and before the perf i put jeans on and a shirt and i'm like it's plus 26 out i'm not here to prove anything to anybody i okay i understand the whole you gotta like be in western attire like an hour before and like whatever like of the of the perf but when it comes to traveling and stuff i like i'm on board with you fully like I want to be, I'm traveling on the road, driving hours and hours. I'm not going to sit in my fucking starch jeans and starch shirt. Yeah. When I'm driving from Calgary, Alberta to fucking yeah. Beaux-Asia. 100%. Like, fuck that. Or like, and like you said, people, like, people feel like they got to be wearing like this, that, and the other, but they're wearing, they'll show up to the rodeo wearing Wranglers and fucking sneakers. Like what's the, where, where's your cowboy? Bench, yeah, and it's, man? it's about being comfy, whatever, whatever like, may, you know, it, it goes back to the cowboy. Hat, it's mostly, you know what I mean? Like, dude. There, there's people who get pissed off at like Jesse Byrne and Shorty Gorham not wearing cowboy hats while they're fighting bulls. You know what? If, if those guys are the rankest fucking bullfighters you'll ever see in your life, if they don't want to wear a cowboy hat, then they shouldn't have to. It's 2020. You know what I mean? Well, you guys mentioned that and like being at all these Western stores lately doing the sales stuff, like even, even for our cowboy shit hats, we're all wearing all caps right now like fully you could wear a cowboy hat potentially but it would almost feel out of place now on the on what we're up to and like we're not I, but even the west even the western stores what my point was though is that there's not a lot of 
Western stores selling a lot of great hats anymore. Like there, there's a ton of, there's a, there's a few that have a lot of great hats, but a lot of them don't have anything much because they're so expensive to, to carry. And they're so such a custom piece. It's tough to fit everyone. Now you got to, you got all the different sizes and then you got to shape it. Right. Like it's a tough one. And anybody, but any, and anybody in our circle is buying our hats like custom. Yeah. yeah, they have to be. We're not, we're not, we're not going to Lamley's and buying a store, a hat from the store, which is impossible. We just can't, so. I can't fit one off the shelf anymore, right? Like I've got a specific taste that I've acquired over the last, you know, 15 years. I think a lot of, a lot of my like anger in this is rooted from living with Tim for three years, <laughs> just watching him lounge around in jeans. Like I, nothing, but I, for whatever reason, that just bothers the shit of me. Like, huh. Honestly, like, how can you sit on your couch in a comfy chair, a comfy couch, a couple, and be wearing fucking jeans? There was a couple got golfers at the golf tournament. That doesn't make any, still doesn't make any sense. There was, I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. It's a personal thing, I guess, Wazy. I could just say that you should have better stuff to worry about than you wearing jeans. I've, I've had it up to here with your jeans. <laughs> oh, I, I'm just like, <laughs> I've had those jeans, man. Enough. But there's, there's guys golfing at the golf oh, tournament dear. wearing jeans, oh. and I was like, you know, dude, uh, fuck that. Honestly, I'm passionate about this. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> well, golf it's pants on you, like, scrub. I have my I have my Wrangler it, golf pants on. It, it, everybody khakis. Yeah, everybody has That's their better own than opinion, though, and it's like you know, like if it's like me seeing uh, Jess Lockwood in a pair of sweats and going, "Holy fuck, you're not that cowboy wearing uh, not as cowboys I thought you were." Man, the guy's one of the rankest fucking bull riders ever. If he wants to wear mm. sweats and Nike shoes, who gives a shit? Yeah, you don't so have to yeah. live live the so way true. that everybody. Does. Yeah, people people try to define like your amount of cowboy by the way you dress, and I mean you got to present yourself in a certain way, I think. But um, it's more to me, it's more so your actions and stuff 100%. you do rather than what you're wearing. Like if I'm if I'm yeah. if I'm at home, like say I'm at like back when I was younger, if I'm at home working for my dad, going out moving cows, I'm wearing a ball cap. Like does that make me any less cowboy than buddy who fucking is wearing a cowboy hat beside me? Like no. Like I'm just as handy or more handy than you. <laughs> you are, fucking you loser! Thanks for helping. Helping. Now it's getting. <laughs> now it's getting serious. Ah, guys. I, don't know. I just a lot of that stuff is like. But yeah, it, it, it it's it's the way it is now. Like okay. everybody has a, you know, everybody has their own expectations of of what something should be. And like I said, I've taken flack for having the beard, and you know, hey, when are you gonna get rid of the beard? Uh, when I'm. W- when when you start minding your own Steadily business and don't give a shit about it, then I might get rid of it. But for right now, I'm rocking the beard. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It may may fluctuate in size. It may be Ted size here one day. And you you never know. But <laughs> right now I'm 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 rocking it. I gotta get it cleaned up. Me and Ruby got Christmas pictures coming up. So uh the message the message from this to take away from this conversation or like what I brought up is don't work out in jeans and don't golf in jeans. Please, uh, the world needs Please to stop. stop. You're not fooling anybody. But if that, if you're not fooling anybody, honestly, honestly, it would do a lot of cowboys some good to put a pair of shorts on. Got a lot of problems with there'd a lot be of a lot. There'd be some seriously yeah, light legs. Like you, oh, yikes. Whitest legs, whitest legs you guys saw this past year. I'll start Roland McFadden on the golf course, Mickelson national with Jeff Robson. Whitest legs I've seen maybe ever was like put could have held a sheet of paper next to him and the sheet of paper would have lost the whiteness test. It was it was a little weird. Mine was Mike Holmes. I went boating <laughs> with Woody. And he had the craziest farmer tan. Like that like that yeah, body had that. not seen sunlight. Oh dear. 
I do, years. I do got to say this. This was one of the first years where I got the tan that went past, like, past the end of the hand. <laughs> the the hand, hand. Like, I actually got it up. Like, I actually got a farmer tan because I was able to not have that, long sleeves and that, on all that's the time. You, my old man, nice. my dad has the, oh, by fucking August, if you see him in a pair of shorts, you, you put on sunglasses to look at his knees, not the sun. <laughs> I don't think I've seen my dad wear a pair really? of shorts in my whole life. Yeah, my dad was the same. I don't know if I ever probably. Saw yeah, him. he's got like white. Ass I don't think I've ever exactly. seen him wear a pair of shorts. I saw it in a picture. It's either sweatpants. It's either sweatpants or jeans. Like there's no in between. Yeah. And like fucking red sweatpants. They're not just like a regular. Pants, you wear <laughs> you should red sweatpants. Write a song yeah. called Wall about white ass legs. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> classic. That's funny. I think we better. I think we got to wrap it up, guys. You done? I've had enough podcasting for today. Yeah, I want to play some video games. Vigi? Vigi games. Vigi games? Okay. Get that damn bow off them video games. All right, guys. Well, this is all. Thanks to our guest uh, this week, Brandon Bates, being on the show. Rural Cloth again. Check it out, ruralcloth.com. Well, wait one second. Wait one second. Hold up one minute before you shut her down. It's almost Christmas. That's our next Get your cowboy shit gear. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good Get ordering that stuff. If you want it by Christmas time, order it now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Cowboyshit.ca. Or check out our Instagram. And get it in your local stores. All the stores listed at cowboyshit.ca. Check it out. Get your merch. There's a, we got a new hat. This one's actually blue and silver. What's it called? Got it. If you have What's any questions, shoot us a DM. Yeah, Wace. Wacey and I are do we got we're we're sporting some new ones that we're bringing out next year. This is a blue navy blue wool with some silver lettering. Wacey's got the golf hat. He's got the little the little navigator thing on the <laughs> lower rope. Lower rope. The black. This will be cowboy cowboy shit cowboy shit golf line. Yeah, so that's like I've got a couple of those ones. That, that's like the black gold. So it's got to be one's got to be Leduc, but I got like three versions. So it's got to be like got to figure that out yet. But then Polly's got the white horse on. That's that's the gray, this is my go to gray and white. It's a good one. It's a good one. Mm. So, yeah, but don't don't hesitate. Get out, get your shit. Check it out. Like if you check out cowboyshit.ca, at cowboyshit officials are our, our social media DMs. Check us out. You can personally DM us on Instagram or any like social media if you. If wanna, your boyfriend's missing that just that out. something special, yeah. it's probably because he doesn't have a cowboy shit hat on. Mm. Not even, but even if your she's missing man. that little that little. Uh, you know what I mean? That uh, that little. Uh, if she wants to look, she wants to look sexy pulling that three D check yes. at the bill race. Get her one of these. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again to James Foley for being on the show this week. Guest co-host, my usual co-host, Wacey Anderson, been in this for seventy nine shows now. Again, this is Cowboy Shit. GG. Ted Wacey and James. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening.